We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. So we got set down to the 7th Marine Regiment in 29 Palms, California to train their Marines in behavior analysis, ground sign awareness, and enhanced observation, basically enhancing their observation before they went forward to Afghanistan. This is something we've done a lot, and we were a really small team. There was about six active duty Marines with three or four of us uh, civilian contractors that traveled all over the place, Okinawa, Japan, teaching these people these things before they deployed. And this one time, the day we landed was actually the day the Christopher Dorner thing kicked off here in Southern California. If you don't know who he was, he was an LAPD officer. He went nuts and started doing active shooters basically up and down uh, California, running around terrorizing everybody. And what had happened at the end of it, they'd actually kind of tracked him up to Big Bear Mountain. So again, we're at 7th Marine Regiment, 29 Palms. Big Bear Mountain is about 45 minutes away. And you have a small team of Marine and civilian contractors that are trained in you know, enhanced observation, tracking people down. And we're all watching the news. And this is a section, if you remember, where they found his vehicle up in Big Bear Mountain. It was in a snowy area. It was a blue Tacoma. We're watching the helicopter fly over it live. They're getting the footage. It's on fire. Come to find out later, he'd set it on fire after he ditched it there. And you can see where the truck is burning, obviously, fresh snow. But it's about six feet around the vehicle. You have a lack of snow, obviously, because the fire is burning and the fuel and all that good stuff. As the, the news commentator was looking at this fire, she starts talking about law enforcement response and people on the ground and the sheriffs. And they said, yes, we found this vehicle. We have this burning vehicle. So let's do some time. You know, couldn't have been that far away. We have this vehicle. We have some tracks that lead away. But because of the snow, we've lost all prints and we don't have the ability to tr find him anymore. And you could have heard, you know, we were screaming in this in this uh, hotel room going, what are you talking about? We're yelling at the TV screen because we have a bunch of trained trackers. And uh, heck, yeah, you can follow that stuff all day long. So we start doing phone tag with people and the Marines start getting on the hook with their people. We start getting on the hook with San Bernardino sheriffs. We actually get in talks with the incident commander, the, the on-scene incident commander up there. And we start talking about getting up there and start tracking this guy. And all the way up into the headquarters of the Marine Corps, everyone found out about it, but it finally got to the law enforcement decision. And I think they were just a little weirded out by everything. And they were just like, uh, Marines, contractors, tracking, combat hunter, like what is going on? But by then, it had already, we'd already become overcome by events because the officers had caught them. And that's where they got in that final shootout. But we were rigged up, geared up, ready to go because you could absolutely track and in this you know, situation where you've seen in law enforcement many times. So just one of the crazier, you know, side stories that happens. You never know when you're going to be able to use this stuff, you know, till it's time. So, so you all, everybody out there is listening and you hear a story like this. And for most of y'all, you can remember this event occurring and how horrific it is. And the voice you're hearing is Yusef Badu, who uh, I've followed for recently now for about two years on Instagram and I've been pretty amazed at his ability to be able to articulate some things that we've learned in, in law enforcement, people have learned in the military, uh, and be able to explain to people situational awareness, what that means. You've, you've heard in his story some of the stuff about tracking, um, and he's going to get into a lot of really cool stuff. But I know that my man Ski here all day has been calling me, and, and we've just been talking about how great it is that uh you know you came on you're gonna come on the show and talk to us tonight we're just kind of fired up about it so if we start getting to talking and getting a little bit excited bear with us because this stuff is like right up our alley uh we can't always articulate the way you can but 
But we're pretty excited about the, the topics and stuff that we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be getting into uh, some active shooter things. And if you're listening right now and you're going, okay, well, look, tough guy, I'm not a cop. I'm not, you know, an operator. I'm, I'm just an, an average citizen sitting at home. Well, a lot of what you're going to hear tonight or today is going to actually be uh, self or um, your situational wellness awareness, self-preservation, your ability to actually be able to read situations. Um, and it's don't, don't blank out on that. This is all applicable to everybody who's listening. Right, well, Ski? And I've been asked the question a million times in the last week and a half since the most recent events in America and the shootings and stuff going on, like, hey, what's the solution? You know, they come to me because they know, you know, law enforcement background. And that's a tough answer, right? It's a, it's a tough question to answer. But I think this conversation is going to be so applicable to everybody when they go, well, what can I do? What can I do? And that's where I threw out that term self-preservation, right? Absolutely. If we all if we all, uh, you know, rely on ourselves and learn certain, you know, just learn certain disciplines and, and you know, situational awareness and what that really means. And uh, we can deep dive this. But that's what I'm so excited about, because. Hopefully you're going to listen to this. You're going to walk away and you're going to go, I can do this. I don't have to be a Marine overseas. I don't have to be a law enforcement officer, you know, working drugs or narcotics or gangs or anything like that. This is applicable to the everyday citizen. This, this information should be shared with your kid going off to college. It should be shared with your kid getting off the school bus. It should be shared with your wives and your loved ones. Everything we're going to talk about and touch on is going to be applicable. And that's why I'm so excited. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. We really appreciate uh, having me on the show and uh, appreciate what you guys still do for our country, man. There's a lot of craziness stuff out there. So I want to say thank you and, and thanks for the show and this ability to, to get this information out there. Because, again, like one piece of information, one behavior, one indicator we could see could disrupt um, that next violent act. And the sad part about where, you know, we're probably going to touch on active shooters. You know, when you look at it, that lens, think about this right now to everybody listening right now is that next active shooter is out there right now. He's out there right now, procuring their weapon systems, getting their ammo, making their little kill list. And they're coming up with it right now. So if you hit that, I believe button on that, whether you're a cop, whether you're a mom, whether you're a teacher, whether you're whatever out there in society, what can you do about it? What are you trained to do about it? And it doesn't have to be some ninja, ninjutsu, Rambo type deal. There's so much we can do to disrupt violence before the gun comes on campus, before the shots are fired. Yeah, you know, I was talking to BC on the way here, and, you know, everybody wants to go out and get their CCW, which, you know, it's, it's encouraged, and everybody wants to go take these high-speed, you know, rifle classes, and, 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 and that's fun. And there is a skill set there and you will learn a lot. And a lot of the people putting these classes on, they are the best of the best. But I think this situational awareness, behavior analysis, that's a prerequisite to anybody that wants to carry a firearm. Because you pull that firearm out and you shoot it, you have to be able to articulate why you did it. And everything that you preach and you teach and your skill set and your expertise, that's what's going to help people understand the big picture. So I, I, I say, you know, you don't, you know, this is a prerequisite to I, I coined I said it's a prerequisite to the violence that could take place. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a, a gun is just a tool. A CCW, that's, it's just a tool. So how many guys y'all ever shoot at indoor ranges? Anybody mm -hmm. you guys oh, yeah. have been there? Yeah, yeah. I don't shoot air in indoor <laughs> ranges anymore because you see those people and you know what I'm talking about. They're nuts or waving the gun around the place. It's like, there's your CCW holder. 
Yeah. You know, and, and what yeah. if you're faced with a real threat? I got told, you know, by a, a synagogue in Los Angeles as a former police officer that ran security there. They had, you know, we would all kind of like, yeah, d- definitely do that. Their parishioners said, hey, we want to carry in the synagogue. He, being a cop, was not with it. He was armed. He had his team that was armed. And none of these people had any training. And he tells me, Yusuf, those people, he goes, I segregated them, put them one part. He goes, yes, we're safe. He goes, because they scare the heck out of me because they have zero training, but they went out and bought a gun. So this is two factors here, whether yeah. you're mm-hmm. armed or not armed, you know, being mature enough to, to really take the training that needs to come with that system. Absolutely. And I think a good way to start is just paint the picture for the lay citizen, somebody that's not in law enforcement, somebody that doesn't have a military background. What is situational awareness? What is the definition that that you go by? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of different, different definitions that I don't even go by one. It depends (laughs) on the context, you know, uh, you know, you can talk about pilots, pilots need situational awareness because they have to know their instruments, the other aircraft system and the other thing. Law enforcement has to be not only aware of, you know, crimes happening about personal safety, about their you know, state of their weapon system, all these different things. So, um, you know, you, you look at DHS, they have different ones. FEMA has different ones. So I go about about take I say it like this. You're walking around taking in five or 10 percent, 15 percent of information happening around you. Is that a good number? Is that not at all? (laughs) People people think they're taking in all this information when you're really not. Yeah. On the surface, we're visual creatures. And so we're we're listening to people's words and we're not really paying attention to the sub language that's happening. And the sub language being nonverbal communication, whether it's body language, whether it's biometric responses, whether it's the distance I keep between someone. You know, 60, 65, some literature will tell you 70% of total communication is nonverbal. So if we believe that one, how much do you pay attention to on a, on a given day, depending on your job, whatever it is? Most people are checked out. Most people are not paying attention. So that's why this information is really great, because you don't need a Ph.D. in this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, God bless you guys for doing your thing in law enforcement. But you don't need to go through some violent, horrible actor, shooter, actor of 20 years in law enforcement. When you do do that stuff, you definitely develop, you know, what I call good file folders. You know, you, you've seen mm-hmm. that before. But the, the good news here is you don't have to go through these horrible, violent events to learn awareness and learn to disrupt an attack. Because most of the training we do, whether it's first responder, look at the word, first responder, responding. Mm-hmm. It's an action after the fact. The mm-hmm. bomb has gone off. The shots are fired. And we're trying to minimize or stop. So, yes, we need to do that. We need to train to that standard. No problem. But what about everything to the left side of that threat, left of bang. You know, there are all these pre-event indicators that if you know what to look for, all you got to do is spot one. You spot one of these strange behavior and goes, wait a minute, and you pull on that thread and all of a sudden an active shooter event or some violence doesn't happen. That's a much better way to do business in my book. Yeah, absolutely. And I always just define it simply, you know, if somebody asks me, I say, you know, people always like to say, you know, if I'm teaching the lay citizen, they say, what is situational awareness? If I ask that question is it's like being aware of your surroundings, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the obvious answer. I always like to say being aware of what is a threat to your well being, because now you're kind of getting more specific, right? You can notice the the pretty bird in the tree and the deer standing on the side of the road. That's good. It means you're paying attention, but how do you key in on what is a threat to my well being, right? That's when you're really going to actually start, doing things and creating these habits that are going to keep yourself and your family safe. 
Absolutely. I was, uh, I, I trained a, 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 a police officer in San Francisco. And let me tell you this, I'm, you know, Mr. Behavior Analysis Situational Awareness guy. You guys are way better experts than me. You, you two, <laughs> all you coppers out there are way better at this than I'll ever be. You know, what I can do is add some articulation to it. So you have picked mm-hmm. this up from a gut feeling, from experience, from your, what things you've done. And all the time when I train cops, I'll, I'll, my first break, I'll get done and I'll go, man, I've been doing what you just said for 20 years. I didn't know I had a name. I go, yeah, there's a name. There's some research. And you can articulate this in the court of law. So uh, this one officer goes with his wife. And this is great because it was his wife that caught it, not even him, Mr. <laughs> Copper. And they go to Mexico and they're in kind of a piazza plaza sitting there having lunch. So, you know, awareness is about asking yourself simple questions. This is an eating area. What should people be doing here? Generally, they should be selling food, eating food, relaxing, whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a little small table, you know, set up selling trinkets, selling tourist trinkets. Okay. Obviously, they're for the Americans to buy. Probably not the locals. The wife notices two guys on a dirt bike drive up, kick the peg off, both get off, and they both make icon. They're both looking at her and the husband. That's when she kind of nudges them and they look over and you can tell there's attention there. They're both looking. And what really creeped her out was not, they didn't take their helmets off. They just got off the bike mm. and they just stood there and stared at them. They walk over to the trinket vendor area and they start, you know, messing with the thing. And the vendor is not even looking at them, not even talking to them, not even verbalizing with them, not even acknowledging. So she's seeing this and she keeps noticing the attention, the glance backs at them. Finally, the husband's picking up on that and he goes, you know what, let's get out of here. And he grabs her and he, uh, he timed it. He took a sip of beer. He waited till they turned. And they beat feet. And they got out of there. And you know what happened at the end of that story, guys? You know what those those two guys did? Nothing. No idea. <laughs> right, right, right. His wife got the hell out of there. You know, he has no idea how that story ended. Hey, I Were love they it. Paris? Were they criminals? Who knows? But you were not there yeah. to find out. Yeah. yeah. And I love the fact that this 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 officer's wife is keying in on that stuff too. I mean, she's yep. been paying attention to and learning from him. And that's yep. that's really so cool. you 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 did say like cops oftentimes, and especially the longer that they're on the job and the more experiences they get, they're very good at feeling it and, and maybe not articulating it. Yeah. And it's sad when, you, you know, we'll take statements from victims, especially like of, of robberies or uh, like severe assaults where people have been shot or, or um, cut with box cutters or stabbed. Mm-hmm. And those indicators that it's almost like their gut is speaking to them and saying, you know, here's the person walking up on me. What is it that they've got? You know, what are they doing? And their brain is moving so fast, and then they almost like they talk themselves out of, well, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to think something bad of this person. And next thing you know, they're getting robbed. And then when you take this statement, and a lot of times victims say, I, I knew this was going to happen. I felt it. You know, I felt something different. And, it, and it's almost like you want to be able to explain to them, was it in the eyes? Was it in the mm-hmm. feet? Was it in everything about the body? Is it in the movement? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things like where when you're talking about it and you say you can articulate it and put it into words where instead of someone saying, oh, uh, he was doing furtive movements, you know, or he was mm-hmm. doing whatever. It's like, what was that person doing specifically? And mm-hmm. I, I, one of the things I love hearing you say is picking out the anomaly. Yeah. Like in a, in a group of people. So there's like 10 people hanging out somewhere. What is that anomaly? What's that? What's everybody doing? Like you said, they're eating. But now what are these guys doing on the motorcycle? So like for uh, police officers, when they've got a corner store and people are posted up and hanging out at the corner store, cops are watching them and going, okay, 
there's five guys or 10 guys hanging out. Everybody's on their phone. They're talking. They're hanging out. There's one guy who's standing there eyeballing everybody and is, like we say, head on a swivel. Mm-hmm. Like you sure. talk about the person with their back to the wall, they're scanning, but also not getting called into saying that person's a threat. They're going to kill me. It's just they're doing something a little different. It's the anomaly, right? Exactly. Yes. So the, the best thing you can do is walk around your life and always be establishing baselines and hunting. I say that word specifically hunting proactively for anomalies. So what's a baseline is just what should be the norm. Uh, you just talked about this situation where cops are sitting there. Let's say, you know, hypothetically, they're corner boys or the criminals. We know that. They know that we know that. Mm-hmm. They're there selling drugs. Guess what? That's a baseline for that area. You know, <laughs> right. so if I'm a yeah. cop and, you know, mm-hmm. Monday through, you know, 72 to seven days a week, they're out there hustling. I show up on one day and they're not there. I need to slow down and go, why are they not baseline? You would Absolutely. think, hey, good thing the drug dealers are out there. <laughs> But it could be cueing you off to something, uh, a bigger predator showed up, you know, what I mean? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, uh, specifically one of the instructors I worked with uh, in the Marine Corps, um, Danny, he had a situation in Ramadi, Iraq, where they had uh, Iraqi police that were at a, a kind of checkpoint where they could see and they would have to patrol through this checkpoint into a bazaar. And so they'd always kind of get eyes on. Well, Danny was real savvy with the behavior profiling stuff, and he'd always go out before patrol. He'd stick his binos out there and look for that little Iraqi cop. And every day they were there, every day they were there. And on one day they go on a patrol, the cop's not there. And he's mm-hmm. going, hmm, that's weird. Hey, can you call the other checkpoint? He's not there either. And sure enough, there was a big old ambush in the thing. But they'd called it, and they'd planned for it. They stepped out. They said, get ready, boys. We're about to get shot. So, you know, just the fact that they were able to put their heads on a swivel – 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 50 seconds before the bang incident, the violence, that's enough to win the day. So just mm-hmm. establishing baselines and hunting proactively for anomalies can get you out of a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. and I think a really good way to, to describe this to somebody that, again, that doesn't have this background, think about when you're driving in a vehicle mm-hmm. and you're coming up to an intersection and the light turns yellow, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That is saying you have two options right now. You either have to stop <laughs> or you have to step on it and make it through that red light, right? No third option. Here. <laughs> no, you don't have a third option, right? But that yellow light is your situational awareness. And how do you turn that on to, to the rest of your life, right? Because if the light goes from green to red, what's going to happen? Bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Bang right there in your face. <laughs> so, so the yellow, if you can learn and train yourself, without having to get the visual cue of that yellow light and apply that to all the other things you're doing in life, that's mm-hmm. where you're going to buy yourself that time. That's where you're going to be able to make a decision. And in the training world, you hear the OODA loop, right? The yep. observe, orient, decide, and act, right? And uh, without that yellow light, without situational awareness, without being able to read body language and learn about this stuff, you're going to keep walking into bang over and over again, yep. right? Absolutely. That, yeah. Can you, can you walk us through that? Like you talked about baseline. When you talk about an anomaly, can you just kind of walk everybody through, like what are some anomalies that people can pick up on in general? Great, like, yeah. great question. You see, so this segues perfectly. So um, let's look for specific anomalies and two specific ones I want to talk about what you guys already mentioned, situational awareness and attention. We've already talked about that. So let's talk about situational awareness. So if you've never been trained, you're not a law enforcement all you need to think about and understand is 99.9% of the population is walking around completely unaware of their physical surroundings. They're not mm-hmm. looking for threats. Hell, I can't even get them to 
pull their phones out of their, you know, heads out of their phones. Yeah. So they're not even spatially aware. So ski, you talk about OODA loop. They're not even in the orientation part. They can't right. even physically place themselves. <laughs> so you have that situation there. But if I can identify anybody in a situation that's exhibiting situational awareness, someone checking their six, someone who is super aware of their background, someone who walks into a building and puts their back up against the wall and starts standing. Uh, someone who walks into a restaurant, walks all the way to the back end, sits in the back table with their back up against the wall. Hey, let me ask you guys. Let's see if I get it. Uh, you guys are law enforcement. What do you guys do if you have to go pee and you go in a male bathroom when you're on the job, when you got the uniform on? What do you got to do? What do you do? I mean, I check every stall if that's what you're asking. And then do you go Do you use a urinal or the stall? No, you go in the stall. And do what? Do you lock the door? Yeah. Why? Why do you guys do that? Why do cops do that? You know, no one does that. You guys are the only ones to do it. <laughs> right, yeah, right. You don't right. want somebody walking up. My, you, you can't yeah. be in a more vulnerable position right then right. and there, right? <laughs> are you Are you any less situationally aware? So that's why right. you guys do that. That's a right. certain mm -hmm. behavior. So if I identify anything that could indicate, you know, situational awareness, hey, guess what, brother? You got my full attention. I don't know if you're bad. I don't, I'm not saying you're a criminal or terrorist. You could be right. a cop because it's the good and the bad people that uh, the only ones exhibit this. So mm -hmm. I don't know enough yet. So I have to do some type of sustained observation. So situational awareness is definitely one thing. And someone's attention. Um, where, what is the baseline? Where, where should people's attention be uh, normally? If you walk into a restaurant, you don't have a connection there. You're just stopping somewhere to eat. And you walk in and it does like the record skip thing. And there's only four people. You know, everyone turns and looks at you. But maybe you're a new person. But Normally, everyone would go back to doing what they're doing, eating right. their dinner, talking with their friends. But let's say you do that and you got four individuals that their eyesight lingers a little bit longer mm -hmm. or a little bit longer. So, again, it's like, why are you looking at me? Uh, I was with my wife in Las Vegas. We were moving towards a strip. This is the middle of the day. Middle of the day. There's probably 100 people on the sidewalk. And there was a store that I had to go candy corner to. And I said, you know, we're just going to go corner here. And it was kind of a large parking lot. As soon as we cross this bus stop, there's four dudes in there. What should you be doing at a bus stop? Waiting for the bus. Waiting for, for a bus. bus. Hanging out. So these yeah. guys are posted up on the bus. Mm. So I haven't really paying attention yet. But as soon as we get abreast with them, they all turn. And they kind of looked at me. And I passed them. And I waited. And I turned around. All of them had jumped off the bus stop. And they're walking towards me and my wife. Mm. And now I'm looking around. Even though it's the middle of the day in Las Vegas, this is kind of an isolated little corner I'm walking into. I walk into the store. And I look around, I don't see a, a specific exit I can run to. And I grab my wife. I'm like, never mind, get out of here. And I, we start hustling out. As I'm walking out, they're walking it. Mm -hmm. Again, did they rob me? Did they shoot me? I had no idea. But I had yeah. two anomalies. What should you be doing at a bus stop? And that attention. Over mm -hmm. attention towards me and my wife. So that was enough information for me to go. So attention and situational awareness is something you definitely want to look out for. Because if something's about to happen, you're getting close to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, you're, you're yeah. getting close. You're not 20 minutes. You're not an hour out. You, you could be yeah. close to some type of violence here. So, and, so go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say real quickly, one of the things that like when we're doing surveillance, we're mm -hmm. keying in on, we call it like the, the chin to shoulder, like mm -hmm. where someone is walking and, and they're paying attention to their surroundings. And let's say we're keying in on their chin body language. Gotcha. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, they're yeah, like their where their chin is basically almost touching yeah. their shoulder because they're trying to catch as much of their, six or the six o'clock position as they can yep like you said baseline you're watching other people walking around and it can be your most violent neighborhood or city or whatever but other people are still just walking around they're going to the corner store but when that chin starts popping that that shoulder it's like okay 
who who are they worried about? Kind of like what you said earlier, like the the bigger the bigger fish comes in. You know, somebody they're either looking for their enemy mm-hmm. or they're looking for the police. It's mm-hmm. like doing surveillance. A lot of times, we'll call in a marked unit, like a, an actual patrol unit, ah. to ride by. And what we were keying in on is we're watching the people we're watching and going, who's going to react? Who's going to touch their waistband? Who's going to blade their body? Who's going to, who's going to gold. gold. (laughs) Right. right? So who's going to watch that patrol vehicle? Who's going to be our scout that yells out one time, man down, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. your, your car. Where's the runner? Where's the gun? Yeah. 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 So it, it lays out in surveillance and this is, you know, for people who are understanding sometimes like what all is going on behind the scenes. When we do that stuff, like you said, our baseline is everybody's hanging out. All of a sudden now our anomaly is the people keying in on that patrol vehicle, the marked mm-hmm. patrol officer, the presence. Mm-hmm. They ride by and then we know we want to we want to stop this guy. He's he's giving us indicators of of an armed citizen, right? Or or of, mm-hmm. or of an armed gang member uses what we're dealing with. Yeah. So it, it's that idea of introducing something else in the environment to get to create that anomaly or, or to get it to show itself, so to speak. So it's almost, it's interesting too, that when you, you were talking about walking down the street and looking over your six and you're, you're watching these guys, mm-hmm. they probably felt pretty, if we're going to say they were criminals, they felt mm-hmm. comfortable being four on one. Mm-hmm. Right. But it makes yep. you wonder too, like we've, we've debriefed gang members before and been like, well, why didn't you do this or attack this person? They're like, yeah, that dude had his head on a swivel mm-hmm. or, or that dude saw me. Yeah. That dude saw me and I knew what was up. Like, I, I like a wolf sees a wolf kind of thing. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's one of those things that I, you articulate it much better, much better than no, we you guys, do. You know what you're nailing? No, you're nailing it. This is, this is an actual, this is what I'm talking about in real life, what you're talking about, mm-hmm. BC. So that's absolute gold, you know, and, and, and what I call, so when we teach people, we break them down into domains, you know, behavioral, kinesics, uh, um, proxemics. Um, you mentioned a couple, you talked about that. I would call it, you know, a rock in the pond or an atmospheric shift. Okay. So you might not look at one indicator, but all of a sudden you have an atmospheric shift and weird things are happening. If you talk to, has this ever happened to you? Uh, you ever talk to a young gang bang, gang member, or, you know, a young criminal, and maybe the OGs are across the street and mm-hmm. they're doing something. You ask them a question, they go, uh, yeah, no, officer, <laughs> I'm just doing this. You know, who's yeah. he deferring to? Right. They're deferring yes. to their leadership. Right. Yes. You know, so if you really, as a cop, you want to throw a rock in the pond. You go, hey, thanks, man. And you walk across the street and walk up to that guy. Hey, morning, brother. How you doing today? Conceptual <laughs> man, contact. Man, I, I want you on my squad. <laughs> Just walk through that <laughs> whole that, crowd and, and talk to that guy. Dude, and that's <laughs> the, I yeah. love this stuff. And that's like the essence of being a good street cop, right? Mm-hmm. When I was really young, it, like being a street cop was the first thing I've ever been actually good at, right? <laughs> kind of a dumb hit, you know, didn't get good grades and this and that, right? And then I fall into this profession and I can't figure out how I know these things, but I know it, right? And driving around in a police car and I, I can pick out the guy that's going to run. It's like, well, how did you know? I'm like, I, I have no idea, right? So yep. that's how you talk about, like, you guys are so good at, at knowing this stuff, but I can tell you why you know it and like the articulation side. And there is an art to it. You know, obviously Absolutely. further on down my career, I start to figure it out, but mm-hmm. that's the fun. It's the, it's just like putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And it's just like finding that one missing piece of the puzzle. You know, mm-hmm. it, the, the anomaly, it's either what's there or what's not there. And it's like, what am I looking for? Right. Absolutely. We and, do training, too, if you want to get into the really fancy part of it on the higher level of the stuff. So most people just need behavioral training, baseline anomaly, what anomalies look for. I, I throw, you know, 100 pounds of stuff at the wall. 
open 20 pound sticks when it comes to the behavioral right. uh, domains, but also you have to think about um, planning behaviors. So not only specific little violent indicators that we want to look at, you, you talk about behavior that's indicative of some type of planning operation. Mm. And that's specifically what I do is I help organizations look or disrupt, you know, coordinated attacks. So not just random criminality, because there's steps to that, whether it's an active mm. shooter, whether, whether it's an insider threat, you know, they don't just wake up one day and procure the equipment and procure the mindset. They, it, you know, if you look at the FBI, when it comes to active shooter, it's, I call it the shot clock. Uh, a active shooter can have the ideation of a plot for a long time, up to a year. Um, but the actual planning and procurement happens in about a week time frame. So mm -hmm. if I teach you a planning behavior or a procurement behavior and you see that, guess what, man? You got a shot clock. You got about a week time frame where you need to either, you know, investigate this and figure it out or, or do something. Because that bang, that left the bang mentality, that bang, that violent incident, it's not waiting for you to make a decision. It's not waiting for you to put a policy in place. It will blow right over you and you, you won't even realize what happened. So by, by loading people's heads in with these behaviors, you can disrupt it before and, the fact. And I know you're going to touch on it. And I just have a cheesy saying that I always use when I'm teaching and it's awareness plus action equals yeah. prevention. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's just catchy and yeah, it's, it's good. the action of it's the actionable items mm -hmm. that are going to, you know, so it's kind of a two pronged approach. You can see it, and do nothing about it, it's yep. not going to prevent it. It's good that you picked up on it, but there, there's a whole other step involved in this process, mm -hmm. and you keep touching on it. Um, just, you know, you and your wife in mm -hmm. Las Vegas, you make mm -hmm. the decision to go, hey, I'm going to turn into this store real quick and see if they follow me. That's an action item, right? Mm -hmm. You yep. gave them a test, and, and you kind of knew what was going on. And, you know, it, had you just kept walking, maybe just kept glancing back at them, they might have closed, uh, closed their distance on you, and, and you know, you may have not given yourself that opportunity to get out of that situation. Yep. Right. And you keep touching on it, but I just want to throw it out there. Action. Uh, I'm sorry. Awareness plus action equals prevention. And I know you can, you can deep dive that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it, it, I love that saying it, with the execution part in that if you're aware of these behaviors, if you're aware of your surroundings and little indicators and things happening up to an event, you can spin up a much better plan. You can spin up a much better plan. Uh, let me give you a, another quick example. This is military. It's Marine Corps, and this is more orientated. So we, when I say awareness, we're talking about behavior awareness. You need to know that. But you also need to understand ground sign awareness. There's more that information that the ground is telling you, especially in law enforcement and military. And we had a lieutenant that we trained in. These guys called us from Afghanistan. We were in California. This was such a story for them. They called us. They had a lieutenant who was taught in you know, a three-week training program, look for pre-event indicators and ground sign awareness. And they go raid an abandoned compound um, in Afghanistan. First off, he said the abandoned part was what keyed him off first because nothing is abandoned in these places. So there's a reason they're abandoned. So that was right off the bat. That wasn't good. He got there. They take some pot shots outside the compound. The young Marine sergeant's trying to get his Marines in the compound. The lieutenant goes, stop, wait a minute. I want to look over the wall. He jumps over the wall and he looks on the wall and all he's looking for is fresh disturbance. It's a real indicator. If someone has shown you, if you don't know what it looks like, you don't know. But if someone's shown you, he's looking for fresh disturbance made by footprints and tread and he sees it. He doesn't even know what's going on. He can't even articulate it. He just gets a bad feeling. And he comes off the ladder and he goes, nope, they're still getting shot at. And he's like, nope, we're not going in there. Go to that mound over there. And they run over there. As soon as they run to the mound, the bad guys stop shooting. And long story short, 
they were the bad guys were trying to push them into this compound. They were doing this kind of little stupid contact to try to do what they've watched us. They analyze us. They say when Marines get shot at, they go to cover. And what they'd done is the inside of that, this compound, they had ringed it with a daisy chain of about 15 IEDs. So mm-hmm. it would have been a mass casualty event. 40 Marines in this 10 by 10, everyone would they've been pulling them out with garbage bags. And just based, he didn't even know what that was. He didn't say IED. He had enough ground sign awareness disturbance to speed up his decision-making and said, you know, come up with a plan. So absolutely just understanding these behaviors can give you the time instead of, you know, um, coming up with a bad plan, you know, in the middle of it. Yeah, absolutely. So if we could back up a little bit now, you, you've got a background, obviously you're, you're a wealth of knowledge. Can you just kind of touch on how you started learning about a lot of this and, and what your background was and how, you know, how you got involved in it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a doozy of a story. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I, I still can't believe it sometimes myself. So um, I, uh, originally I'm from Kuwait and uh, I grew up there. I was there for the desert storm and all that and still had family in the United States and fast forward till, you know, 1998 and I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. Um, I was living in Michigan at the time with my mom, so I deployed. So I deployed to Iraq as a Marine infantryman who also spoke Arabic. So, you know, do the math on that one. Old Uncle Sam got us 10 pounds of flesh in my butt. You know, he got <laughs> double it. duty out of me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, and I did ended up doing three, three combat tours over there, OF one, two and three. So that right there gave me uh, a front row seat to uh, interesting dynamics and dealing with people in violence. You know, I was a Marine infantryman. Uh, I was under the command of Marines and infantry, and we had this hard mission. We were getting blown up and IED'd, but I also had to be the interface with the Iraqis and the tribe. And, you know, most of them were great people. And, uh, you know, but it, it was just interesting dynamic. Um, I got out. I actually got involuntary recalled about a year later. Year, I was mm. out for a full year, civilian and everything. And they said, yeah, come on back. They stuck a FedEx uh, in my door. And I thought it was because of the Arabic. Oh, they're going to bring me back for Arabic. And they go, Arabic? What Arabic? They're like, your last name is B.A., Badu. So that's why we could. What do you say about Arabic? And I was like, nothing. Nothing at all. I coughed. Long story short, um, I was going for a fourth deployment. And a friend of mine said, hey, they were standing up this new program in the School of Infantry called the Combat Hunter Program. And that's where I cut my teeth and learned all this stuff. Because we had to go over these deployments. And it wasn't like World War II anymore, where you had a uniformed, you know, uh, enemy. You had uh, a huge population of innocent civilians and you had bad guys in mix. So we had to get good at really, really good, get good at quick at scanning crowds, at picking out the one bad actor in a crowd and not only teaching this to the fleet Marine forces quickly in about three weeks. So, you know, when it comes to behavior, if I'm in a town and I'm in a, and I'm in a marketplace and a bomb goes off, an IED goes off. What do you think the instant normal reaction to any human being is? Tuck their shoulder yeah. and look down. Mm-hmm, it's, right. it's a startle reaction, right? But yep. what about that one dude in the entire crowd who doesn't do that? The guy that knew it was going to go off. The mm-hmm. guy who pressed the button. Yep. So that is kind of an analogy of what we did at the program. We'd run you through and you teach the behavior profiling, situational awareness, ground sign awareness, and enhanced observation. So we use optics thermal uh, uh, scopes, you know, everyone thinks thermal scopes are for nighttime. No, thermals work in the day and night, you know, for different reasons. So just getting the maximum value of not only our, our, our optics, but our brains. We take that country kid who grew up hunting deer and he learned certain things about deer hunting. 
if he's following mm-hmm. a deer and the mm-hmm. deer is pooping in a long line, guess what? Hunt's over. The deer heard you or smelled you, hunt's over. City guy won't know that. But you go to the city guy's neighborhood, the city marine who's grown up there, and you go, yeah, let's take a shortcut through this alley. And he goes, nah, <laughs> man, those the, all the, the light street lights are all blown out by the gang members, so they don't want you seeing them. So now we're going to skip that one. So mm-hmm. kind of took all those, put some really big brain people, PhDs and smart people, and out came that combat hunter program teaching the military that stuff. That is so cool. Yeah, it was cool. So, so you're basically, like you just said, you're taking knowledge from multiple angles, mm-hmm. putting it and packaging it, and then being able to teach a large group of Marines uh, to, to scan, check the anomalies, to be able to act on that, and Absolutely. to somewhat, yeah, get ahead of some of the violence. Um, Five seconds, 10 seconds, 60 right. seconds before the bomber shot goes off. If we can build that in, that's a good day, mm-hmm. you know? There's a lot of more options there. So then, okay, how was it that you even got interested in joining the Marine Corps? I heard you say now, and, I, and, and for all the listeners, you grew up in Kuwait, and yes, you were sir. there when Iraq invaded. Yep, right. I was there after Iraq invaded, and we were there for four weeks after the invasion while, while Iraq completely occupied Kuwait. You know, everyone hears about Gulf, Gulf Storm and Gulf War. Americans didn't deploy there till a year after occupation. So we'd been right. there. So we were there about five, six weeks. We got smuggled out by Canadians. Uh, my dad had to stay because he was uh, Kuwaiti. And so from the war, from the Gulf War, you actually had one of the more iconic pictures of, of Desert Storm of the Marines repelling into the U.S. Embassy. They didn't really, uh, it wasn't a gunfight or anything, but it was coolish, really cool yeah. to see as a kid. I'm like, yeah. who are these dudes? And there are four recon Marines. Mm. Fast forward. Um, the war is over. I come back. I'm going to a school. We, uh, I went to American school. After Desert Storm, the Army and the American military did a lot of deployments to Kuwait. It turned into a, 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 um, a year-long deployment. Three years, you'd go there. So people I grew up with were well, all Army brats, Marine brats, and they worked for the embassy there. So I grew up going there. Uh, and then I was in Boy Scouts and the Marines and soldiers ran Boy Scouts. So like while y'all were like, I don't know, fishing or knitting, like I got to move a Patriot missile system like i had to get on the guy's shoulders i'm not joking it, oh, whole Patriot dude. system we were shooting rifles yeah. and pistols you know my mom thought it was nuts but so that was my introduction into the united states military nice. at a very young age yeah so the, the and the reason i say that is there are people out there that'll listen to this and talk themselves out of joining the military which to me is always sad in, in the fact that you got exposed to it at a young age uh, and then you, you, you go this path, you go through these obstacles, you learn this information, and now you're actually coming back and teaching it to citizens uh, and, and police officers. And, and I'm, I'm just going to say for the future, I'm quite sure you're going to be teaching quite a few different, <laughs> different agencies and different people because the, the more people kind of get to hear this and get to understand there is some science behind this. This is not mm-hmm. just you know, uh, random acts happening. And if now mm-hmm. if we can get ahead of it, but the main reason I say that about the joining the military is that, 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 that as you're young and that, that spark kind of gets in there and you go, okay, Hey, this is something very interesting to me. You know, mm-hmm. you, you didn't, there was no, I'm, there's no way that at a young age you could have predicted oh, no. the, the, the hunter program or, or any no, of that. Do you know what I mean? Nothing, so, nothing yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah dude, I was dude. sitting in OF one. We got, we got, uh, the invasion happened. We didn't even catch up with our unit. Our unit was already forward deployed. 
and they put us in movement companies. I was movement company two because mm -hmm. of my name. We we're going forward to Iraq before the war started. <laughs> okay. They bumped me to movement company three, which was like a week later. And we were like crying in our Wheaties because we thought we were going to miss the war. We're like, oh, God, you know, we joined the Marine Corps, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years later, a multiple comment. It was like, who's laughing now? Yeah, I could have never project predicted <laughs> this trajectory. Yeah, <laughs> Right. So is there are there any books or any type of references that so if someone's very interested in this, that they go? It, I mean, it's not all I'm assuming in one book. No. But are there any kind of books or anything that you don't mind talking about or referencing maybe that? that people can read or go, okay, Hey, I can learn a little more about this behavior or not. I don't know. Absolutely. So like the, the best thing you can do, I mean, I'm, I'm drowning in books. I'm trying to think of what <laughs> I've, I've problem, been looking guys. at, I read yeah. this stuff all day. So I'm yeah. Like, uh, and, and I know, yeah. While you're thinking about it, I, and I put you on the spot, but the only reason I do that is people will send me messages like all week and they'll ask, Hey, have you got books on gangs? Have you got books on body language? Have you got books on, you know, and I forget because like you, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm trying to like zoom in on your back <laughs> bookshelf yeah, back there, yeah. but just the idea of, is there a way that people, if they want to start learning more about this, that they could read or anything like that. And I know I'll put you on the spot, man. No, no, but, no. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah. to think of a good one. There's tons of them out there. So there was a, a, a guy, um, 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 I'll do a couple of things here. So mm -hmm. let's do this. So you have a, a kind of a mixed crowd here. So mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is understand that 60 to 70 percent of nonverbal communication or uh, communication is nonverbal. So the first thing you want to do is assess your level of you know, intelligence or knowledge when it comes to just basic body language. So going over a deception detection, going over, you know, uh, uncomfortable cues. And what I will advise everyone to do is stay away from any um, social body language. And what do I mean by that? Um, you know, Hey, did you see Kylie Jenner over there? And if you brush this hand with that hand, that means they're going to divorce in three months. It's like, <laughs> look, the farther you get away, you know, how yeah. we can, uh, how we understand situational awareness is because it's repeatable. It's based in the limbic system, fear systems, your brain, because when, when a fear is presented to you as a human being, certain things fire and they make visual things happen that we can observe, but that only applies with, you know, it usually applies with discomfort and fear. So um, when it gets social, people are complex. There's a million different reasons. You guys know polygraph, you know, polygraph mm -hmm. is a great tool for law enforcement in certain specific sequences, but like blanket polygraphs are kind of like, yeah, you know, if I tick, if I ask, Hey, did you murder that person? And the thing ticks and yeah, okay. He's a murderer. Or maybe my mom was murdered and that's a big emotional response for me. So mm -hmm. same thing. So right. understand the farther you get away from, Limbic system responses, the worse it's going to get. Uh, but start understanding the nonverbals. One person I talk about a lot of the time, anything by Colonel Grossman on killing, on combat, they mm. give you a good understanding of that. But uh, some of the nonverbals, he's got like 20, I don't know how many books. Dr. David Matsumoto. Dr. Okay. David Matsumoto. So you guys ever seen that show, Lie to Me, where the yes. guy could like, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That show was based on a real person, Dr. Paul Ekman, who could really do that stuff. He was yeah. trained enough. He studied enough to where he'd go look at your ticks and facial stuff, but mm -hmm. he's doing it like 50 years. He's really good at it. And the show got a little crazy, but if yeah. you're reading his books, yeah, the, they'd walk in the guy would like itch his face and he's like, he's a murderer. And they'd all like high five. And that was like the end <laughs> right. of the show. <laughs> right. a little bit more complex than that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe Navarro. That's another good one. Joe Navarro, yes. what everybody is saying. That's a great mm -hmm. one from a law enforcement perspective. 
that's a real good one because he has a he has a language thing too. So he he grew up in he came to America not understanding language or not understanding English. So what he had to get real good at nonverbal mm-hmm. communication, and that took him to you know law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I'm blanking a little bit, but you know we can no. go more specific ones too. Yeah, yeah, no. When when you say that, that's what I you know I'll oftentimes throw out a term like micro expressions, and then people mm-hmm. are like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, and then mm-hmm. so then I can 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 start to reference them to the to some books and stuff, but. I think you said something that was pretty important, like getting away from the gimmicks or people mm-hmm. trying to almost like sell this idea. Like you said, yep. Oh, that uh, they're standing a certain way. Therefore they don't like one another. And it's like, yeah. no, maybe they're just cold in yeah. the room. So yeah. they're, so they're, you know, putting, exactly. putting their arms up around them or whatever. So, and this happens in interview rooms a lot. So a lot mm-hmm. of people like to watch um, true crime or they like to watch, mm-hmm the detectives interviewing mm-hmm. somebody mm-hmm. on, on TV. And then they go, Oh yeah, you can key in that, that that person is, is guilty because now they're turtling, you know, or they're pulling their yeah. arms yeah. in. On, and then, like I said, then you find out the interview rooms like 60 degrees yeah. because, <laughs> because yeah. the city that, you know, yep. whatever it's, it, it's really, or they're on drugs or they're yeah, on alcohol. Or- <laughs> I had a sheriff tell me, he goes, you city, I was training. He goes, I love you, man. This is awesome. Every yeah. cop should have this stuff. He was the LA sheriff. He goes, but I'd love to, I'd love to take you in an interview room with me with a, with a meth head. And right. so he was kind of joking, but he wasn't. What do you look for in that? They're not following the baseline. So all, all right. I tell people is like, you can spot drug users or alcohol, someone inebriated, not playing by the rules much quicker. If you look at these behavior, right. I don't yeah. know what they're going to do from there, <laughs> but I can, and this entire crowd, if I'm at a church and go, all right, we got some furtive movements that appear to be methamphetamine over there. You know? Right, right. Yeah, and everybody. I want that information. I would like everybody's to got a different baseline. That's the other yeah. side of it. When you when you try and go, oh, I'm I'm highly trained now, and I can tell by the scratch on the face. No, yeah. but if you can baseline that person, which probably doesn't take you very long, then you can say, no, that scratch on the face is just when you ask him a question that he has to think about, right? Yep. Not necessarily. So again, it, it all goes back to. It's not this uh, this mysterious world of like a, a one size fits all, but you can pick up. It's like watching these poker players, these high stakes poker guys. Absolutely. That's a great. That's a fun way to start to learn people's little nuances and just the little anomalies and the, the different things. And and with the good guys, it's so slight. Right. Uh-huh. And it's just entertaining to try and pick up on it when you're starting to talk about this so so you brought up alcohol this was Mm -hmm. something that uh ski probably wants to talk about a little bit uh we talked about it earlier uh, about situational awareness and when people are drinking yeah if we want to just take a different turn and just talk about like maybe some of the barriers to situational awareness oh okay all right right. yeah because we talked a lot about you know 99.9 percent of the people walking around I don't think their mindset is exactly like ours, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. what are the what are the common barriers in your experience uh, as to why people are just oblivious to just the the chaos going on around them on a daily basis? All right. So I'm just making a couple notes because I want to get my thoughts right here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and I'll spit it. I got a guy. Just gonna this. So um, here here are a couple mindset quotes. So I'll give you some tangible stuff right now. So talk about poker players. Um, let's bust some myths here. Okay. So <laughs> myth one, um, not, not necessarily myth, but a mindset. I tell people when you're walking around in life and most cops, most first responders understand this concept, but if you're walking around there in life and you're dealing with something or you're about to deal with some type of violent, you have to think about yourself like Apollo 13, you're Apollo 13, you're out there in space, you've been blown up and 
you have your NASA, you have access to every PhD, every brain, every genius who ever had a thought in this world. You have access, you can get them on the phone, they can text you, but no one is coming to help. Mm. No one mm. is coming to help you out there in space. You are all alone and you have to solve for X. You have to figure it out yourself. So take the time to educate yourself now because when, when it goes down, no one's coming to help you except you. So that for unconditioned people can help them and understand that because I know that's simple, guys. I know I'm saying that is simple, but what happens? An unconditioned person will go to a football game. They'll go to their kid's high school game and they'll look around. Maybe they get some type of weird feeling about whatever, but they'll look around and they go, oh, there's a cop right there. There he is right there. They got the badge and the, there's a, they're, they're, they're going to be there to protect me. There's 1,200 people here. You know, at this, you know, event, but those three cops over there, those cops aren't going to do anything. They're going to call mm -hmm. dispatch and try to disrupt, you know what I mean? But that's the mindset you got to keep there. Um, when it comes to observations, I'm just going to, this is like speed round, guys. I'm just going to hammer. Yeah. Heads. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about baseline and anomaly. So you're always looking for baseline. And once you find that anomaly, it's going back to what Ski said, execution. So I have a fancy algorithm for you. Baseline plus anomaly equals decision point. You mm. have to do something. I can't sit here and tell you what to do. I don't know what your situation is going to be, your context, your, you know, you could be law enforcement, you could be some blue hair grandma at church. I don't know. Uh, so I'm going to tell you, you have to do something. You have to make a decision because bang is not waiting for you to do that. Once you're observing baselines and you're hunting for anomalies, all right, delete the word why. Get the word why out of your vocabulary. And if you see some type of anomalous behavior that rises up on your Richter scale, where your brain goes, huh, that's funny. Well, that's weird. That's hinky. If your brain does that, you need to pay attention because what happens is these survival mechanisms are subconscious. So your gut's screaming at you, danger, Will Robinson. You need to pay attention. <laughs> you know, the last time you were in this situation, A plus B plus C, bad stuff happened. But our conscious brain, we're still getting our coffee. We're still mm -hmm. getting you know, ready for it. It hasn't caught up yet when your limbic system was screaming. And here's where people get in trouble and here's where people die and get hurt, guys, is once you've been shown that anomaly, once that violence has come up, if you're an unconditioned person, if you've not thought about, if you've never trained about this stuff, odds are you're going to fall into denial. You'll fall into vapor lock. Your brain is going to lock up. You're going to go wide eyed and your brain's going to start <clears throat> telling you dumb things like, no, that guy didn't just pull out a gun. No way did that guy just punch Jack and no way did I just see that. That you're, you're in a doom loop at this point because mm. your brain is only defending itself. It's going, nope, that's not real. That's not happening. You see it time and time again with active shooter situation. I mean, you all tell me, uh, witnesses, how many times has that happened? You know? Yeah. Well, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you right. Know? Yeah. And you stood there. And you stood there and yeah. watched it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not to cut you off, but like right. you said, I, I had a guy one time tell me there were three people walking towards him in a parking lot. He sees the three people walking. Something doesn't feel right because two people split up and walk on each side of him, and the guy in the middle walks directly towards him. Mm -hmm. he, once again, he's like, uh, this doesn't feel right, but I don't want to be judgmental. These, these are just walking. By then, they've already boxed him in, and the first guy pulls the pistol up, puts it in his face, and says, run your pockets. So for people that don't know what run your pockets means, that means you're getting robbed. Yeah, you're getting and this was, yeah, this was not a small guy either. This is mm -hmm. a big dude, like a like mm -hmm. a bodybuilder guy, right? Mm -hmm. So the guy puts a gun in his face and he gives it up, right? Mm -hmm. Afterwards, when he's telling me about this, it's like you're, you know, 
what you registered was three people separating. That's not normal behavior. That would be the anomaly, right? That, mm -hmm. that you talk about. Mm -hmm. The baseline is most people walk together. All three would go left or right around a person. They wouldn't mm -hmm. divide up and then that first person go in. So kind of like you're saying, it's that that idea of he observed it. His brain was was registering it. He just didn't act on it, sadly. And, yeah. and maybe even his size, he felt safe because, hey, I'm a big dude. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can throw a haymaker and, and a jawbreaker, you know, but here mm -hmm. it is get, getting robbed. So it's, just one, it's one of those things that I, I'm, I'm only saying that to say there are citizens out there that are hearing what you're saying, and I'm hoping it's digesting in to where they go, okay, when I see it, even if they can't articulate, just act on it. Like you said, move, walk, go, redirect. Yeah, get, yeah. get out of there. Stop. You're, you're there's a, there, there, there's a there's an Iron Man quote that I love, and I use it all the time. It's Iron Man 2. He yells at Pepper when everything's blown up. He yells at it. He goes, stop stopping. That's it. If you're ever in the if you're ever in the shit, the best thing you can do is stop stopping. If you go, I used to tell my Marines, if, if it's the Alamo, if you look over, I'm shooting my pistol. You know, if a Marine infantryman is shooting his pistol, that's a lot of bad stuff has happened. If you look over that Alamo, it's like you better go down screaming orders. I don't even care if they make sense. You better be screaming bloody orders, you know, to get people moving, get them off the ass. Because even that, even that movement is still better than, you know, trying to come up with a plan as that that violence is bearing down on you. Um, you, you mentioned two things, Ski, I want to talk about talk about judgmental. And, and first off, I'll say this, I, I did some uh, training with an Israeli individual one time and he had a counter suicide uh, vest course. It was really great. You know, mm. you hear counter suicide vest training, like how do you counter a suicide bomber? It's pretty <laughs> yeah. tough. Well, Israelis have kind of figured it out. They have some uh, tactics to it, but his whole concept, and this is what we can apply what you were just saying, BC is time to fight his time. He goes, what is your time to, once you identify a suicide bomber with a vest on, What's your time to fight? There's zero time to fight. They clack mm. off and that's it. As mm. opposed to a shooter moving with a weapon, moving through corridors, we have some time to fight there. We can disrupt and slow down. So his whole thing is you have to maximize that time to fight by, by showing these people there. So that's one thing is uh, maximizing your, your time to observe these things before they're full on uh, threats and violence. And the other thing you mentioned, Ski, is judgmental. This is another myth too. And I run into it every day. People don't want to be judged. Uh, it's PC culture out there and people don't want to be, you know, especially law enforcement don't want to be seen as racist or making a biased judgment. And I tell people this and it takes the, the wind out because there's a lot of people out there. They want to fight me on this. I go, our training and this behavioral analysis has nothing to do with, you know, race profiling or what you look like. I don't care if you're green from Timbuktu. If you show me the limbic system behaviors that I can show you with research are attached to violence. I don't care what you look like. You, you mm -hmm. can be my brother. You're, you showed me. Now, if I go into a court of law and go, you say, because of this behavior, this behavior, this behavior, I felt reasonable. There was a threat coming my way, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, there's some tech things happening like, oh, bias and um, artificial intelligence. It's like when you focus on the behaviors, I don't care who you are. We're all human beings. We have survival responses. And they're hardwired a lot of the time, and most people don't even realize it. So. Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I just wrote down, uh, just so we could touch on it, stereotyping and profiling. Mm -hmm. what's, you're gonna... what's that word? Where, pro, it's a, profiling is a dirty word. Right. You can't even say it anymore. Right, but, but I, I, I'm going to argue this. Mm -hmm. You can say it. Yes, mm -hmm. I do stereotype. Yes, I do profile, but I articulate every last bit of it, right? Yeah. So maybe you could take those words out of there. But if you get called out for stereotyping, but you can articulate a list of 10 to 15 things as to why you did that, 
you should mm-hmm. confidently go up there and say, no, I'm not a racist. No, yep. I'm not profiling. No, yep. I don't have implicit bias. No, yep. I'm not stereotyping. And it, and, it, and it goes back to your training. And you got to be able to do that with confidence. Mm-hmm. And the only way that confidence comes is to continue to dive into this stuff and be yep. able to just back up all your actions. Because that, yep. that, that is a hot button for me. Well, um, you know, especially when, you know, in law enforcement, when you're when you, you know, they start to pull the race card and and all this stuff, because what it's doing is it's making these officers scared to death to do their job. If they can confidently go, it's just noise. These mm-hmm. people are just talking like you, you mentioned PC and pop culture mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. We have to get thick skin and ignore that and continue to do your job to the best of your abilities. And part of that is being able to say, you can call me a racist all day. You can you can uh, accuse me of stereotypes and profiling. Read my report. Yeah, this is this is what happened. Whether Mm -hmm. whether he's dark skinned, light skinned, albino, it doesn't make a difference. My Mm -hmm. report with a white man or a black man or a Hispanic man or whatever it may be, it's going to read the same and it's not going to talk about I stopped him because he was white in a Mm -hmm. black neighborhood or I stopped Mm -hmm. him because he was black in a white neighborhood. I'm going to start listing all the actions, all Mm -hmm. the anomalies and everything we've been talking about. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my encouragement to anybody out there in law enforcement that is feeling the pressure of this is just get good at your job. Just be able to articulate and don't be scared of that because you're going to sit and you, you know, those attorneys are going to hammer you and well, you know, you, you're, you're stereotyping and the only reason my suspect is here is because you know he's got a certain skin color and you're going to mm-hmm. say nope that's not yep. why next yep. question please yep you're going to back it up with research and and repeatable stuff every time absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. so I, yeah let me say this you, you use the term ski you said you you stereotype but you're actually not stereotyping what you're actually doing is just observing someone's behavior yeah Absolutely. So just just for clarification, like that that term stereotyping is the the shortcut of just judging someone based mm-hmm. on something. Uh, us judging uh, Yusef saying oh, he's a marine, he can't be smart, <laughs> right? Like that's the that's the stereotype. We do judgment all the time, <laughs> right, uh, right. To, to get even further down the English language, discriminate. <laughs> right. We discriminate mm-hmm. all the time. We profile all the time. It's all it means is categorizing. You're categorizing right. things and areas. When you go, you know, find animals in the kingdom, you're profiling, you're putting them in a category. You yeah. Know? So, I, I, so yeah, one of, one, one of the things that like I, I hammer a lot with people when I was in uh, patrol officer training people in the field, if I'm training detectives and in interview skills or if it's a gang class or whatever, the whole idea is to get back to the behavior, like we just mm-hmm. said. So if you see someone and, and you're watching a crowd of people and you see, Everyone is, say, 15 to 25 years old, and all of a sudden there's a 60-year-old male. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not going to all of a sudden assume, oh, he's the threat. But as you're watching the baseline, all of a sudden you see the 60-year-old male begins to, yeah, begins to touch his waistband quite a bit, mm-hmm. begins to rub the back of his neck, is looking around quite a bit, you know, is shifting his body. As and he's the only one doing that in that situation. The, right. Yeah. He's the only one doing that. And all of a sudden, he starts to walk towards, uh, you know, let's say a, a citizen standing on the corner. As he's walking towards that person, his right arm is pinned against his body. Mm-hmm. And he's doing what we call an unnatural gait or an incongruent gait. His left hand is swinging. His right hand is pinned. It's music to my ears. So, mm-hmm. so we, we are not keying in on him because he's a 60-year-old man in a crowd of young kids. We're yeah. keying in on all that behavior I just talked about because – those of you that are plugged in know that that 60 year old man 
more than likely has a firearm on the right side of his body or a weapon at least, and that he is approaching someone and he's at least trying to mask or block that weapon, whether he's cognizant of what he's doing or if he's doing it just, you know, out of um, habit or, or, you know, that sort of thing. And, and you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but what I'm saying is for officers or anyone out there for the, for the future victim. And I hate saying it for mm-hmm. the future victim, who hears or listens to their gut and says, Oh, something is off, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're Absolutely. Not, yeah. We're not keying in on the 60 year old man because of age or, or race or any of that. We're keying in on that behavior. Yep. So that, so that idea I think is when your gut or your instincts tell you something is off, that's why now we've slowed everything down and mm-hmm. we've observed things. And now when we're doing surveillance, that's what we're looking for because now we've learned for years and years and years this is what people are like when they've got firearms on their body and they don't want to be discovered or they're yep. you know, pre-fight indicators, that sort of thing. And once you take someone ski and you show them, you don't have to yeah. see it a million more times. Right. You know? right. well, In I, law enforcement, I think of like, you know, I'm just using this as a hypothetical. I've never been a cop, but, you know, a hand-to-hand drug deal. You know, you're a boot. You just got on the job. Let's say a hand-to-hand drug deal has like 10 steps to it. I'm just making numbers up, right. you know. As a new guy, as the boot, as a new person, how many times you're you're going to have to watch those hand to hands for a while, and you're like, oh nope, I, okay, now I'm getting, now I'm getting, now I'm seeing a bunch of different versions of that. At a certain point in your life, you're going to get to a point where you're not going to have to see one through ten. You're going to st- see step three, seven, and nine, and your mm-hmm. brain's going to go, good enough for me. Last time that <laughs> happened, I, I found a gun or I found drugs, and we can apply mm-hmm. that same behavior when you're walking around the world today. If you just yeah break it down you know and i'll give a we talked about the the action piece of seeing this and and i think the real life examples are good for people listening uh i was parked in a bank parking lot right before they opened this wasn't very long ago and before i got out you know have the habit of kind of looking looking around just to make sure there's nobody there again the the it's just opening right so it's a Mm -hmm. great time for you know like a morning glory robbery or something of that nature so i get out of my truck because you know first First scan, I don't see anybody. When I do get out of my truck, uh, I'm closing my door, and I look over the back of my truck about 100 yards from me. There's a dude walking at me with uh, a hood. Uh, he's got a, a hoodie on with his hood up, and it's about 80 degrees out. It's a pretty warm day, right? Mm-hmm. And immediately catches my attention. A, he's, he's not dressed for the occasion, mm-hmm. right? It's a tank tops mm-hmm. and shorts kind of day. And go. B, he's walking at a very fast pace right at me mm-hmm. so at this point in time you keep mentioning you know the limbic system and this yep. and that and you know for for people that haven't read a lot on just the the physiological stuff that your body goes through and stress or fear and all that think of it as your spider-man sense right most people mm-hmm. have seen that movie and it's that sixth sense right so something told me mike you know like uh you know ski you don't like this situation right mm-hmm. but at yep. that moment in time i had to make a decision you know do i just walk into the bank and ignore it or or do i do something to, to maybe prevent an attack right mm-hmm. so I, I did something really simple that's the action item is i just got back in my vehicle and what I, it's I genius just got, <laughs> i just got back in my vehicle and yeah. i i locked the door and i started it up and yeah. my, my plan of attack was going to be if he's closing in and it appears like he's going to come to my door, I'm just going to drive away. Yeah. Right. People ask so, me, what are you going to, what would you do in an active shooter? I'd yeah. be like, I'd be down the street getting shot in the butt by the Arby's because I'm running. Like, right. I'm not a and, cop. I don't have my and, guns with me. And I think yeah. it's important to note, I, I carry a firearm almost yep. 
all the time everywhere I go. I had a firearm with me. Mm -hmm. I'm prepared to protect myself, but why why do I want to go down that road exactly. when I have a real easy escape here? And it's just just get back in your car. So mm -hmm. you know what it was? It, it was a nothing situation. It was yep. my sixth sense went off between where my truck was parked, where he was walking from, and on the other side of my vehicle was a bus stop. And that bus was there. And he's moving. There you go. That was your piece of content. I figured it all out after the fact, right? And again, like a lot of these situations are nothing, but there's a there's a real life example of that actionable item of just, hey, I'm gonna get in my car and I'm gonna create, you know, uh, you know, some some cover for myself and a, and a means of escaping the situation, right? You, so we can laugh at that, you know, like, oh, it's a nothing situation. You maybe you felt a little goofy after that, but yeah. would you rather be in that situation or where? He was something nefarious and it was criminal and you were absolutely I'd rather be the dumb dumb ten times out. I'd rather be the guy saying, I am sorry, man. I, I called that yeah. one wrong. I'd rather yeah. be that guy yeah. ten and times out of ten. Yeah, and BC, I was talking to BC about that earlier, and he said, Well, did you offend the guy when you did that? No, because he had no idea what I was doing. You know, <laughs> right? Think about it, right? We're worried about offending and and and, and hurting people's feelings. He had no idea I was even paying attention to him. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, and this is stuff that, again, you could do at the grocery store. You could do it, you know, you know, just, just and, and here, to segue what, even better. So one of the domains, um, you both kind of reminded me what, how we do is we break down the behavioral domains. We break it down in body language. So it's not like, you know, you're just trying to study all that. You break it down in little silos, you know. And one of them is proximics, the study of distance. You know, a million, bunches of people have wrote all sorts of books on this. But basically, the closer you are, the more comfortable, the farther you are, you're more comfortable you are. So we're just sitting here talking about indicators that can help us out and cue us on. You realize sometimes when the criminal element or bad guy element, the people around them in their communities can give them away. So you might have that, you know, whatever, that ninja, that corner boy ninja who's been out there doing it. He's, you know, hiding the slide and you can't catch this guy. But do the other people in the neighborhood know that about him? Do the other people neighbor neighborhood know that that guy carries a gun and he's kind of a felon? So when cops show up, certain things happen, right? Does the mm -hmm. atmosphere change a little bit? So I had a, one of my instructors, one of my instructors uh, is a cop in Chicago, and they got a call of, a, of a, somebody with a gun in a party, outside street party. They show up, they turn the corner and smart cops. He's a sergeant. So he's been around for a while. He And the young guy is trying to like kind of get up in the middle of the block party and go, stop, man, come here. And they stop and they created offset and they sat on the corner and they watched the party, you know, for, there wasn't no immediate threat at that point, And they just got the baseline. And then at a certain point, people saw him and they start walking up. They noticed them. Everyone kind of does the record strip. Oh, the cops are here. <laughs> and they start actually moving towards them to leave the party. And there was one guy in the party and they said this group of younger kids, they're kind of coming abreast with him. They made a big wide circle around this guy. That's all he had. He goes, well, that's weird. You know, he's, he's one of my shirts. So he's been studying. He goes, eh, I ain't got much here because, Hey brother, how you doing? Eh, well, let me talk to you real quick. Hey, let me talk to you. So all of a sudden the sweating starts happening. The, the, mm -hmm. starts to, and mm -hmm. the, the guns on that guy, he picked them out of the ground. His boot, the new cop with him was like, Holy crap, you're a God. He's like, yeah, no yeah. deal. <laughs> But he was like, wow, yeah. I pulled that one out of my butt, you know, but yeah. it's true. It was based yeah. off a, a, a proximate violation. So it wasn't even him giving off the indicator. It was the people that knew his shenanigans giving off the indicator. So sometimes you can reverse this out. It's really fun stuff. Yeah, we, no, we were just talking about the indicators and just another example, just kind of from that law enforcement standpoint of uh, you stop a car with four or five people in there. You got 
them in a nice confined space and right that's when you start doing your scans and making your observations and i you talked about the the sweating profusely you know mm-hmm. that's a yep. that's a that's a clue right and then and yep. you look light up the cigarette immediately yeah and then <laughs> yeah. The, the the really fun one is that carotid artery when it starts mm-hmm. to blow through your neck and yep. it's like are, are you okay you know it's <laughs> yeah. 30 degrees out and you have sweat dripping down your face and, and your neck looks like it's just about to blow up you two know? beers officer two beers <laughs> two, that's all yeah two, two beers yeah and and brian mentioned it earlier and uh I talked about in the beginning, self-preservation. We talked about, and I love what you talked about, the guy in the crowd that says, oh, there's an officer over there, right? So we're we're, we're taking our safety and our well-being and we're putting it in the hands of people that we think we're going to depend on to help us, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. that's not the case, right? The average response time in America for law enforcement from the time you pick up the phone, dial 911 until an officer arrives there to help you, probably seven to 10 minutes. And I'm just kind of pulling that out of the air, but I think that's, that's yeah. relatively accurate. Yeah. Right? I think it's on average, like nationwide, it's like nine minutes, 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah. So on you total. still have like nine minutes to figure it out on your own. That's a long nine minutes. Yeah, that's, that's a, a long eternity. nine minutes. Right. So don't look around and go, Oh yeah, somebody's going to come help me. Somebody no, that that self-preservation and taking the time to learn these things. And uh, I wanted to just uh, BC had mentioned it. Uh, talking about alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. We're young kids. Uh, you, you're in your 20s or you're off to college or this or that, and uh, you, you get impaired, right? A bar is about the scariest place you can go nowadays. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about besides, it, right? Yeah, besides schools. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, yeah. <laughs> schools and bars. But, yeah, yeah just share a story. I went out with a bunch of cop buddies. We went to a – I think it was a country music concert inside of a bar. And uh, it was a packed house in there, and we've partaken in, you know, pre-gaming at the hotel and all that fun stuff. And by the time we got there, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not my normal alert, aware mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we get there, we end up, uh, you know, this is this is the guy. Had had I been sober, the the end of this story would have never happened. But there's a there's a lone wolf in there, and this dude can probably bench press, you know, a, a monster truck, mm-hmm. and he's looking for trouble. And we're well, there's about ten of us uh, at this bar. So he's found it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he found it. Yeah, he got a bunch of rowdy cops yeah, yeah. that had been drinking Jack Daniels yeah. for a couple hours, right? Yeah, he Church. found yeah. he found exactly what he <laughs> yeah. was looking for, right? But he, was he that? Walks... keep knocking on the devil's door. Someday he's gonna answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Well, he walks through. Uh, you know, it's pretty crowded, and he walks through, and he's bumping every last one of us. Uh, you know, wives, girlfriends, people that are with us, and. He's just, I mean, he's there and, and, you know, words were exchanged and, uh, he, you know, don't, doesn't end up in, in violence at this point, but words were exchanged. He's got the thousand yard stare. I still do remember that part. I wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't that bad, but, yeah, yeah. uh, the thousand yard stare. So, you know, kind of in hindsight, he's already shown us that he's ready to, to rock and roll because he's not scared that there's a group of us. He walks through, he bumps us all. His, his whole point in doing that was to get a rise out of us. Mm-hmm. So we exchange words, and, and he goes and disappears into the crowd, right? Well, being situationally aware and trained in this stuff and do it for a living, like, I, I, if I was sober, I would have never took eyes off that guy for the rest mm-hmm. of the night. I mm-hmm. forgot about him three steps. You know, he walked away and disappeared into the crowd. Well, he's gone, right? Mm-hmm. About 30 minutes later. 
I was just going to ask, did anything happen later tonight? And I was just going to ask. I thought that was the end of the story. Oh, no, not the end of the story no. at all. About 30 minutes later, um, I, I'm standing in the back of our crowd, and I feel uh, what, what later figured out was a haymaker to my temple. Oh. And I get blasted. Hardest I've ever been punched. And I don't even realize that I'm on my back and he is full mount on me, punching me in the face Jeez. until about the third or fourth punch. I thought one of my buddies was messing with me, put me in a headlock and yeah. starts. Start, and yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of and, and when I finally figure out what's going on, I'm like, wow, I'm getting my ass kicked right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. and never saw it coming. Right. And uh, I think <laughs> I'm gonna just my wife is awesome, man. She she came to my rescue, jumped on his back, started choking him out. But yeah, it was awesome. Uh, one of my other big buddies puts him in a headlock. Security comes running over and they're like, you need to get your hands off of him. Get your hands off of him. And then they look at him. My buddy said, you sure you want me to let go? And he said, don't, don't let go of him. No, don't actually let go hold on. Him, right? yeah. He was yeah, here. That, you go your problem. Yeah, he <laughs> was that off. big of a dude, right? And I yeah, got hit yeah. so hard, man. I make the joke that like my cowboy boots I was wearing were still in one spot, and I was on the Jeez. other side of the floor, right? Oh. So I say all that to say this: you're hanging out with a group of of what what you refer to as subject matter experts and situational mm -hmm. awareness, a bunch of cops and this and that, right? We let our guard down. We go out to a bar. We get we get drunk and this is what happens. I, I get, mm -hmm. I get my ass kicked and it could have been a lot worse than it was. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Luckily there was no serious injuries or anything like that. But I tell that story for all the people that go out on the weekend, especially college, especially in your twenties, Hey, go out and have fun, but understand that, you know, that, that nightlife is, is, is super dangerous, right? Yeah, ha have a check-in, have somebody that's not drinking, have your DD know what they're looking for. Right. And, and it just, you know, I think of all these young kids that are going off to college and, you know, just how, just these little steps you can take to, to keep yourself safe. Right. And that's just another example of that's a barrier to that situational awareness. And in that case, it was alcohol. Right. Yep. And it, and it, and it, it cost me, right? I paid for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I bet you learned. I bet you never I did. Make Absolutely. That yeah. 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 That's why people, you know, I've, I've, I've made so many falling on my butt a thousand times doing this stuff. That's why you're going to listen to me, not because I invented anything. It's because I <laughs> fell on my ass a thousand times. It's like, you really don't want to do that. Trust me on that one. Yeah. You know, an, another factor here, uh, Ski, is um, so it's not only that, it's only, not only being aware of your, the situations you're getting into, but it's the people you're with too. It's the people you're with too. So what you're talking about is alcohol inebriation. That's going to obviously affect, think of it like a, a reverse gas gauge. So if, uh, if here's my brain. You guys are looking at my brain here. The executive center is right up here in the front, the executive uh, portion of the prefrontal cortex. That's a smart part of our brain. Mm -hmm. The midbrain, you know, that's our limbic system, emotion, rage, and all that reaction. And then you have the medulla oblongata. Everyone's heard that from Waterboy, right? So, <laughs> you know, obviously have a good time. But when it comes to awareness and behaviors, think of it like this. You have one drink, you know, it's hitting the front part of your cortex. Two drinks, three drinks, four drinks. Okay, now we're in the midbrain. So over here, we're done making good decisions. Now we're just kind of a mm. dumb person. We're making bad social decisions. When it gets to here, we're making dumb life decisions. We're like, yeah, I can fly. I can definitely clear that, you know? Yeah. you know? And then obviously when you have the problem, when that 
when it's down here in the, now you're choking on your own vomit. Now you're dying and throwing up. So just understand that every drink is going to affect your awareness there. So yeah. keep it out to beers. And when it, when it comes to um, externally, you mentioned something ski I want to talk about too. You, the stuff isn't only for, you know, offensive, keeping yourself aware of like shooting incidents or active shooter, it's your own internal thing. So, you know, when law enforcement, military, first responders, are there mental problems, you know, PTSD issues, you know, uh, you guys know sometimes we're our own worst enemy. You know, you, you ever, uh, I tell this joke, I got it from a cop. He goes, you ever, you know, you get on scene with someone, you've calmed them down, everything's all good. You're shaking hands with a citizen. And then that one guy shows up, you know, and it just pisses everyone off. And you're like, no, quote for it. Don't come over here. I'm good. You know, and just whatever it is. Yeah. Five minutes later, you guys are covered in mace and you're beating on each other. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, bro, whatever you're doing, you're putting off this bad vibe. So not mm-hmm. only is it external looking out for threats directly, but you can we can police our own. We can police our own. Hey, what was that behavior? You know, someone makes a bad call. Hey, what did you base that off? A young one. Well, I had mm-hmm. this feeling. Not good enough, bro. Talk it out. Oh, okay. Well, blah blah blah. You know, that's a much smarter way to do business, and it can protect ourselves. You know. Mm-hmm. So you, you just mentioned um, the vibe people put off. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Like the person that shows up, everything's cool, and then it goes sideways. Mm-hmm. And and people on the street will say it too. They call them like – usually they call like cops like that, like scary dudes. You know, about, oh, that's that scary dude. Like he gets yeah. out of the car, he's nervous, but he's putting off a vibe. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things too maybe mm-hmm. like where we need to check ourselves. If we are, you know, locked in on someone or we're giving – maybe even aggressive behavior like ski in the bar. I'm quite sure was giving off the aggressive vibe with his cowboy boots and, you know, mean mugging everybody. He didn't tell, he didn't tell the best part of the story was the fact that's how we met. I beat him down like, (laughs) you're the guy, you're the the sucker punch. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Debo that that tapped that temple one good time. I don't know. Ski's pretty hard over there. (laughs) Yeah. No, but yeah, because you see us. I learned that. Ski would crush me. I I can take a punch from Hercules, so (laughs) I'm comfortable fighting this guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you'd stomp me in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But but the whole idea, too, of just also the vibe that we give off in general, Mm -hmm. in in public, that vibe Mm -hmm. of uh, head up, locking eyes with people. Like for me, I people, do it with a smile. That's exactly. all you need to have to, you don't even have to meet Most people mean mug, especially yes. cops do that. You know, yes. put a smile on your face. Hey brother, how you doing? Acknowledgement. And what you're, what you're really telling them is mm-hmm. what's up, bro. I'm looking right <laughs> yeah. at you. Yeah. I, I see you, you know, like Walmart greeters, you, you think they're just, you know, for the goodness of their own heart, they employ people as, as Walmart greeters and pay a minimum wage. That's mm-hmm. not for any, you know, corporate feel good. That's literally, there was a study they did that showed when you put someone out there and they look at you and they go, hi, and that's another human being that you look in your eyes, like theft and, you know, uh, stealing goes down like 70% mm-hmm. because they've been eyeballed. Am I wrong, guys? You guys tell me. Is that a way off? No, no I, I uh, myself worked at Apple within the stores for a while in, in a training capacity. And we always said the best deterrent of theft is good customer service. Mm-hmm. People yep. are far yeah. less, almost completely inclined to not do anything when you speak to them yeah i I will give you a real world scenario or a real world situation there are two banks and they're about a half a block apart Mm -hmm. suspect walks into the bank and as he walks in there's a a greeter or a person at the front of that bank right at the door as that person walks in they basically hey you know welcome to this bank how can we help you kind of thing to direct them he freezes doesn't about face 
walks out of that bank, goes halfway down the street or halfway goes to the next bank, <laughs> and goes to the other bank and walks right in that mug no and way. robs it. No so way. It's, yes. It was so, effective. I'm sorry, yeah. but that's kind of how it works. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. At, at, at the time I was working an Intel assignment and, oh. and that's how I, I ran across the information was like these, these patterns, this robbery mm -hmm. pattern. Mm -hmm. But it was the idea that, uh, and I, and, and, you know, Ski and I have talked about this before, this whole idea of when someone walks into a business or walks into any room like that and someone talks to them, it's like it, ch it changes their channel. It changes Whatever plan they had, like for that guy, when he walked in, it was, I'm going to walk up, I'm going to put this gun in this person's face, whatever. And all of a sudden now he's not at the, he's not, he hasn't closed that gap to the clerk. He's getting yeah. stopped at the front door. Mm -hmm. So he has to either bypass that person where for whatever reason, like you said, that research is probably based on multiple incidents like that. Yeah. And I'm sure ski can, can talk about it too. But. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what that does is I, I brought up the OODA loop earlier, right? If I'm the bad guy, I have a plan in my head how I think it's going to go, mm -hmm. right? You're disrupting that OODA loop, right? You already threw them back. Like, I'm going to walk in. I'm not going to make Tempo. eye contact. I'm not going to talk with anybody. And, man, your plan gets thrown off the second you walk through the door. Yep, yep. You ever you ever played, uh, you know, tag as a kid? You mm -hmm. know, when someone was getting – their hand was like you're running and their <laughs> hand was right there, you know, and you're going to uh, – you're yeah. trying to run. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. want them like that. You That's want to mm -hmm. – you want to control the tempo – and shuffle things around and make it so it's not what it looks like when they come back because it's exactly things like that happen. They get disrupted from their game. And uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, great analogy. I'm totally going to steal that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a Guatemalan woman. This goes back to a couple of things we talked about, about stereotyping, about people being afraid to make observations or say something. There's this woman. Uh, I did a bank a couple of years back in California and woman, super small woman, uh, quiet the whole time. And I'm teaching all these people, blah, blah, blah. You know, everyone's happy. I had cops in the group. Everyone's all happy. And she sat there and waited for me till the end. And she grabbed me at the end of this thing. She goes, can I talk to you for a minute? And she's kind of weeping. And I'm like, well, okay, yeah, well, come here. She goes, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much. It's training, blah, blah, blah. It's opened my eyes. She goes, let me tell you a story. She goes, I grew up in Guatemala. She goes, I saw my first murder when I was like three years old, right in front mm -hmm. of me. She goes, that's what I grew up with. She goes, when I was an adult, I got enough money and I immigrated to the United States where she had her kids. She mm. goes, ever since I grew up, I've been looking over my shoulder physically, literally looking mm. over, always checking her six, always paranoid. So much so that her adult children make fun of her nowadays. They're like, oh, mom, you're so paranoid. You're always being paranoid. And then she goes, till I got your training. She goes, I feel like you gave me a, 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 a gave me proof. You gave mm. me um, you gave me validation. She goes, I'm not crazy. I'm like, nah, you're not crazy. You might be a little paranoid, <laughs> but you're not crazy. You're the one that's mm -hmm. paying attention because of the things you've been conditioned to. That's so she had permission now to go out there and be this badass and kind of find people and go, no, I'm uncomfortable with the situation and I'm going to get loud about it right now. That, that made mm -hmm. me really happy. That's awesome. You just segued in. Uh, so I had a question written down for you. So you're, this is your life. You live and eat and breathe it. Um, once you Early. know once you know things, you can't unknow things. Mm -hmm. How do you keep yourself from becoming complacent? Yeah, yeah. So big question. That's that's a there's a couple things, especially with people that we deal with it. Our positions as first responders, cops, military, we are the number one prone to hypervigilance. Mm. So if the rest of the entire population is completely unaware, we are entirely way too much aware, and you can be too aware. So going back to the brain. And the analogy I like to give is I get like you get gifted like 
$1,000 of attention currency every day. Your brain gets that in the morning when you wake up. It doesn't matter if it's 2 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. If you walk around all day, every day spending that attention currency, you're going you're gonna to lose. At 12 o'clock, at 1 o'clock, at some point, you're going to run out of currency. Your brain's going to shut off, and it's going to go, you know what, I'm not paying attention anymore. And that's right when you're going to miss it. That's mm. when you, the, the 10 seconds you really needed to pay attention, you're going to miss it because you're out there paranoid about threats and this, that, and the other thing. So mm. the one extreme is not being aware. Our extreme is being too aware and hypervigilance. So I tell it like it is. If you're feeling bad about your thoughts and observations, you know, I don't know, kind of like a creepy feeling, maybe it's a little bit more paranoia. But if you're feeling confident, like let's say you see an indicator. I do this with tracking too. Let's say you get one behavioral indicator. So your example, Ski, that guy bumps you in the shoulder. One person, one guy, he accidentally bumps you in the shoulder. Okay, we got one piece of the story, all right? A third one is he bumps a wife. Okay, now we're right up the Richter scale. And the third indicator, now we have someone to focus on. But if that happens all the time and you're, and you're not basing that on information, on like research-based ones, that's when you burn out. And it doesn't matter if you're conditioned, unconditioned cop, you will burn out. I've been... I was up for 72 hours straight in Iraq one time on an operation. My feet were hamburger. I got sent, uh, I got white socks. Um, they were cotton, not wool. You know, and everyone knows mm. don't wear cotton socks out there. Cotton's <laughs> rotten. So my feet were hamburger and I was literally awake. I had grenades on me. I got a rifle and I've been awake. I'm legally drunk at this point, mm-hmm. you know, 72 hours. And, um, it, you know, how combat effective are, is anybody? Mm-hmm. Was anybody? We were a detriment. We should not have been on that road in anything because we had a higher chance of killing ourselves or getting into trouble. So that's the road is between completely not aware and you don't want to be paranoid and hypervigilant. You want to be confident. You want to feel good and safe about going to your ears. If it gets to a point where you're not confident and you're not mm-hmm. feeling safe, guess what? Grab your people and get the hell out of there. That's the mm-hmm. line. Yeah. Baseline plus anomaly. You know what? I got three indicators. I'm out of here. Good enough for me. You know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, I, I, and I've experienced the hypervigilance. I think a lot of cops have, and they just mm-hmm. don't realize it or they don't want to admit it. I'm, I'm glad to talk about it because I hope somebody learns from it. Right. But I hit that level of paranoia at one point in my career where everything just I, I started to overthink everything. Mm-hmm. I couldn't turn it off, uh, whether I was working or whether I was at home. It was just that that constant state of like everything's trying to kill me right yeah. now. And Start it's, bringing uh, that stuff home. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's just really important to, A, just be self-aware. You have that self-awareness to be able to go, man, I'm, I'm not in a good headspace right now. I'm just mm-hmm. too – I'm too on. I need to decompress. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's important too is just that hypervigilance, it's, it's, it's dangerous. You don't want to be there. It's yeah, just, as, just as bad as the, getting into that complacency. Yeah, yeah, I want to I want to back up to the lady from Guatemala. Yeah, the two, sure. the two perspectives. So when we're talking about being paranoid and hypervigilant to her children who were born in America and probably lived in a somewhat safer environment. Orange County, California. Yep. Right. So to them, that was paranoia. Mm-hmm. To her, she survived Guatemala probably because her head was on a swivel. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea that one person's paranoia is another person's preparedness or her survivability went up maybe because of that. Who who knows? Either way, she survived, came to America. Her kids grew up in a different environment. Therefore, they read that as paranoia. So mm-hmm. it, it took you know your training for her to say, hey, basically, you are validating how I act the same way. 
cops are often called paranoid when they're say at a cookout and they're mm-hmm. armed or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever it is, it's, you know, people you guys get into how, how do people introduce you? Huh? Oh yeah. This is my friend. He's the cop. Yeah. He's the cop. <laughs> hey everybody. Yeah, yeah. Cop right there. Probably. Yeah. Got a gun too. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then it, and you know, like, so, so for some of my friends, it's because, Hey, don't smoke weed. Cause yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's around, but you know, yeah. but it's the, it's the, it's the perspective. So when ski and I always talk about like paranoia or how we feel about things, I mean, we've, we've worked cases and we've been involved in stuff where people have been kidnapped, where, you know, things are really, really bad. And, and you get into that environment and go, okay, how did the kidnapping happen? And you kind of reverse engineer it and go, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. there are people out there using Mm -hmm. social media, using GPS, traveling, traveling multiple States to kidnap a very specific person and then take them back to that state. So when you see that type of whole organizations, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and you happen to be part of the unit investigating that exact organization. Mm -hmm. It reinforces that idea of, okay, maybe I need to tune it up a little bit. Maybe I need to pay attention to Mm -hmm. my, you know, imprint on the internet or how I'm operating day to day. And if this were to happen to me and someone comes to my home, how, how am I going to react? Mm-hmm. So I do want to say that, that like you're saying you can get too hypervigilant and you can burn out. And that is, that is definitely real. But for people who are listening, who may know someone who lives in that kind of environment or has to work in that environment, kind of be patient with them. You know what I mean? Like they, they've been through some things and they operate that way because they have that evidence, just like the, the lady from Guatemala, she mm-hmm. operates daily that way because that's the way she was raised. That's the environment she was in. Yep. So I just say that to everybody that, you know, if you are feeling that burnout, check yourself. But if you've, if you've got someone in, in any type of career or field where they do that, or that maybe they grew up in a neighborhood with bloods, crips, Sorenos, mm-hmm. you know, Latin King, gangster disciples, like whatever motorcycle clubs, Maybe that was their survival. They had to keep mm-hmm. their head on a swivel. They had yeah. to culture of criminality. That was it, their family. They got grown up into it. Yeah. Yes. So they so they will operate differently than other people. So maybe cut them a little break. Maybe they're not that paranoid. It's just that's how they survive and that's that's their environment. But I love to hear the story about the lady from Guatemala. That's that's badass. Yep. Yep. And that's and and again, it's it's not me. It's just the information. It, yep. It's like you've been walking around. You've been lost your entire life looking for a street address. And then the old timer at the gas station goes, hey, knucklehead, are the street signs in our neighborhood are only four inches off the ground. That's all the money we got. Are you ever going to be lost again? You look down and go, oh, there they are. You're never lost again. Uh, so oh, you can yeah. start hearing these little things, you know, when it, when it comes to nonverbals, like a behavior is a word. A cluster of behaviors is a sentence, so on and so forth. Now we got a paragraph and a story. So try to walk around when you're establishing those baselines. Tell the story. Figure out what's happening around you. We're, we're so focused right here. Half the time, all you got to do is literally just pick your head up and look around. It's not rocket science. But when I when mm-hmm. I let me let me explain a concept. There's um, when I when I do military, um, there's called the made man indicators. You want to look for leadership, right? I want to take mm-hmm. out leaders. So mm-hmm. you want to learn how to spot a leader in a group. You know, doesn't matter where you're from, Afghanistan, Iraq, Compton. It doesn't matter. There's certain behaviors that a leader in a group will follow, you know, and the followers will do that, you know, uh, in, in terms of criminality, does like the drug kingpin, does he ever have the dope on him? Does he ever have the gun, gun on him? No, he's got no. little minions to do all that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I th- see things like mimicry, 
If I'm standing around and I cross my arms, I'm mimicking, and you look around, all four of us are crossed arms, you wouldn't really know who's doing what. But let's say mm -hmm. a simple thing like I'm the boss, I'm Tony Soprano, and I do go from this to kind of one of these numbers. And it's not going to be like instant, like tag. But if you watch right. the ripple effect, you'll see the next person and maybe the next person. It won't be exact, but it'll be some variation. And if you see that a couple of times, they're mimicking the leader. You know, mm -hmm. if I if I have a, someone who is giving me hand gestures, you know, I was in 29 Palms watching a construction site once and mm -hmm. there's two construction guys picking up wood. I was 900 meters out. I I couldn't hear them. I was watching them through binos. They're just picking up wood, putting it down, picking up wood. They're all wearing these orange vests. A third guy comes out. I'm way out there. I can't hear him. He does this. And then he goes mm -hmm. back into this little trailer and what the guys stop doing what they're doing and they start doing something else. Who's the boss? <laughs> right. Right He's there. The boss, man. You yeah. Know? So if I can teach you something simple like that, going back to our analogy, if it, it's a criminal one, if I get my leader indicators and I walk up to someone who's actually like a criminal leader and I walk mm -hmm. into that walk through all that people in the house party and walk up to, you know, Tony Soprano. I'm like, Hey, what's up, man? What do you think going through their head? Right. All they, these people, yeah. this dude just walked up to me and asked yeah. me how I'm doing. Yeah, he's probably what, freaking out. Which means that you're plugged in. Mm -hmm. And and <clears throat> that lets the criminal world know too, like this guy's just not the average person. Yeah. He's plugged in. He knows who's who. Yeah. I, I used to call it like the all eyes on me. You know, like we would we would do surveillance and you see a, a group of people talking, and like you said, you know, if we're doing surveillance from a distance away, and sometimes it's like an apartment, like mm -hmm. a two-story apartment, mm -hmm. we're getting the, the downward angle and you can just see people talking on a corner. Yeah, we're watching them do hand to hands, but we were we were also keying in on who who is our hierarchy, who's the highest mm -hmm. ranking, mm -hmm. who is the scout. I mean, we we've actually watched young guys who got into the gang learning basically the hand signs and and you're um, watching them grow up. you're watching them yeah. grow up in the gang <laughs> yeah wow. yeah i mean you're we're literally on the corner we can watch these tutorials which wow. we've used in our classes you know because we've got the the surveillance video but the whole idea of watching one person stand on the corner and it's almost like like when you know you do that horseshoe around the instructor all eyes mm -hmm. on me and you get mm -hmm. ready to do some mm -hmm. hip pocket training mm -hmm. it, it's it falls in suit where yep. Some people go, well, all you should care about is the hand to hand or the or the drug exchange. And it's like, no, we're learning the whole organization. Mm -hmm. We're watching this guy hold court and then boom, he's gone. Yep. To where the average person goes, Yeah, some guy showed up. He talked. And the funny thing is, mm -hmm. the guy who was calling the shots was not the oldest guy on the block. Mm, right. So it's the yeah. same thing. It's 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 the guy who had the power is who everybody's keying in on. And the guy was like 17 or 18 at the time. And he had like really? 20, 20 year olds, 21 year olds working for him. So and there's a whole pretty, pretty nasty dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, what, what we found out is he, um, I, I guess you could say it was somewhat, uh, OCD. Mm -hmm. He, mm. he was like hyper organized to the point where he had drawn a map on a piece of paper with a legend, with a, with a hand drawn blunt, the eyeball shape, the money bag, the scout, the security guy had the pistol. So he has a, like a hand-drawn like diagram, a diagram, <laughs> exactly. A mm -hmm. diagram of the corner who holds what, and he would give out assignments. So then in his notebook, when we did a search one of his apartment in his notebook are, are everyone's government names, their real names, their aliases, right? 
And then I bet gang- this guy's real popular now. <laughs> Look, right, right, right. So because of his because of his behavior, because of his almost obsessiveness, he had to have everything mapped out and written out. You know, it was just it was his way. And that was kind of his downfall too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he was able to create so much revenue for that gang, which at that time the gang is charging dues. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. weekly dues. That he's he's creating so much money. That's where he got his rank. It wasn't necessarily that he was the baddest dude that will put you in the ground, but he knew how hey, to buddy. explain. <laughs> yeah, he knew yeah. how to explain to someone your job is to hold the gun because you will put someone in the ground. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's that idea of just watching the group dynamics, like you said. You we key in and go, okay, this dude's not really on the block much, but when he's there, they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, we work a, a different angle and end up doing a search warrant and we get the book and all that stuff. But it's this whole idea of keying in, just like you said, when you're watching everything, yeah, there's there's danger areas too. But for people who are doing surveillance, it's also watching that, the yep. hierarchy. Tell the story. Hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. I, was, exactly. I, I got yeah. smacked on the head. I, I've told this story <laughs> before. My first other observation post in the Marine Corps, I was a young Marine and I got put on there and they said, here's your logbook surveil this area and it was like a battalion headquarters building i was a young guy i didn't have any of this training or i hadn't deployed yet i don't think mm-hmm. and uh the, they set me in there and i'm like all right i'm watching this place and i'm just watching nothing happen people park go in come out range park come in go out and so there was nothing really much to log you know then mm-hmm. the uh you know squad leader comes back a couple hours later he's like all right what's up what do you see i'm like nothing happened he goes nothing happened because i've been gone <laughs> two hours i'm like yeah nothing happened because let me see your log book and it was like eight o'clock when I checked in and like 12 o'clock when I, or whatever, and it was empty and he threw his Kevlar at me. He goes, so nothing happened in this entire time. I was like, some Marines came in. What kind of Marines? What rank were they? How tall were they? What cars were they? That's when it clicked with me. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, actually watch that. <laughs> Perfect the behaviors, segue. the connections. Yeah. Perfect segue into my, my next thought. So we're having a great conversation and obviously what we all have some experience in, in everything we're talking about. If, I just think the world would be a safer place if everybody had the same mindset, right? Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that. If you're walking in to teach a class of just lay citizens that have never really even thought about this type of stuff, how how are we taking them from just knowing nothing and not even paying attention to this type of stuff to maybe getting them into a habit of just maybe one or two very basic, simple things? So you already said part of it. Uh, one or two simple concepts and understanding that. So let me frame it. So I'll get specific. So from a law enforcement, first responder, military, us teaching people who have not been there. Is that kind of what you're asking? Is that yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So here's my thing. It comes to adult learning. And and here's what I dealt with in the Marine Corps. You go to a school, you go to some whiz bang, you know, secret squirrel school in the Marine Corps. And it was like three weeks, a month long. They'd send you there so you could go learn this knowledge to bring it back to your unit. And you'd send this guy there and he'd come back after a month. And you're like, what's up, man? You learned some good stuff. What'd you learn? He's like, huh, don't, worry, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. If they want you to know, they'll send you that course. Because he was gatekeeper of this knowledge. Mm-hmm, right. One, don't be that idiot. Yeah. Disseminate the information. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And two, here's where we get ourselves in trouble, guys. Is Not in trouble, but you have to understand our perspective. We We've been put into situations multiple times over years where we have to physically fight and think about saving our own lives. You know, we've seen the violence multiple times. We, you know, you wake up, you kiss your wife goodbye, and you walk out the door to go do your job, and you go, someone's going to try to kill me today. Mm-hmm. Someone mm-hmm. I have never met before, never, never even met me before is going to try to kill me. 
we are coming from different places than the rest of the population. That's a good thing. That means we're doing our job. We're protecting mm -hmm. our, our, our people. So they don't know that. The problem is we know we know the damage it can do if you don't pay attention. So we get a little too hardcore, you know, so it's like, <laughs> are you not paying attention? Do you want to lose your head and kill your family? And they're like, Oh yeah. God, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. so what I do is I don't learn like kind of learn in the Marine Corps. I go, look, this isn't a tactical class. This isn't a range. We're not shooting guns. Guess what guys? I know you guys don't want to hear this, but there's a lot of people here in America that are scared of guns. They just scares the crap up. They're not bad people. They're good people. They're just never been conditioned and they're scared of it. So if I know they're scared of it, I don't start the conversation talking about tactical, taking out active shooters or whatever. It's like, here's a classroom. Here's some orange juice. Here's some donuts. I'm going to teach you to be more aware of your surroundings. And what usually happens, if we can pull the rain back, we know the consequences. We want to make it serious for them. Pull the rain back. Let them do their own learning. People are smart. You know, let them do it. Get, you know, feed them the water and they'll make their own assumptions. What happens nine times out of 10 usually is at the end of the course, those people who are afraid of guns, anti-gun, whatever it is, by the end of the course, they're sitting there going, oh my God, I am completely unprepared. It's like, yeah, you are. It's mm -hmm. like, don't you, do you have a gun course? What's there? And they're out, you know, buying pistols <laughs> and gear and whatnot. But it's, it, it's, it's such a stark flip. It can happen in a couple hours, a couple conversations. But when that light bulb clicks on, boom, it's super bright. And you're going, oh, I get it. You know, uh -huh, this information, moment. yeah, this information, again, it's not like genius level moment stuff. Anything I explained today, awareness, attention, any of these behaviors we talked about it, it's like I said it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You're like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not that mind blowing here, you know, so that's all it takes is some education for us to pull back a little bit. We know the consequences. They don't. Right. And the louder we get, the more scared they do. So let's get a little bit softer, have some donuts. They'll figure it out themselves by the end of it. That's awesome. Like and I realize we used a, 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 a saying a few different times, and I don't think we ever elaborate on it. When BC was talking about books, I think we've used the term left of bang like yeah. 10 times in this conversation. I don't know that we elaborated on that. So bang is the incident. Yeah. Left of bang is everything that happens before the incident. So that's what we keep referring to when we say left of bang. It's everything that happens before whatever bang is, whether it's a gunshot, whether it's a, a punch in the temple, a, a vehicle accident. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. what that is. And it's also a great book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there, there's one. Hey, you asked me about books earlier. <laughs> yeah, I told we got it. So Patrick Van Horn was, uh, wrote Left the Bank. So How the Marine Corps Combat Hunter Program Can Save Your Life. Great book. Gives you a great overview. It's a little militaristic. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's great information, but it's militaristic. So just take the mm -hmm. concepts. They all work, but just open it up. It's not just for the Marine Corps. People are like, oh, cool book if you're in the Marine Corps. It's like, no, it's not. It's a good book. Um, there's a lot of resources. You talk about being left the bang with active shooter situations happening right now. I have an active shooter pre-attack behavior course where we're not talking about, hey, when the shooter does this, do this. I don't care about that. When the shooting starts, now it's an active shooter. My course talks about the pre-attack behaviors. You know, when we talked about the shot clock and one of the things we look for is, you know, uh, a furtherance of the crime grabbing or, you know, um, an utterance, a spontaneous utterance. A lot of the times these active shooters they want people to know this stuff. They want people. They want. They have a grievance. They want revenge. So sometimes they threaten people verbally. They don't do it. You would believe. You'd think, oh, they're doing it on social media. That's actually not much because think about it. If I do it in social media, there's evidence to my crime. So a lot of times these things are happening face to face. 
So if you have someone and you're dealing with a school system, a parent or whatever, and they say some outright violent stuff and they mutter it and it's kind of under their breath as they walk away, like, oh, you're going to get yours or anything of that nature. You need to stop and ask yourself specific questions because 10 years ago, that could have been one thing. Oh, you're going to get yours. That could have been just blustering. Not anymore. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. That could, the, the step after that is they come back with an AR into your school. So, you know, that right there, if I can be not teach you to be right obeying, you have to understand how to react to events. But if I can teach you to look at, find one stupid of a behavior before the event, that's a much better way to do business. People aren't dying because we're not just reacting to the bad guy. And I know someone like yourself with your background and your expertise uh, with, with recent incidents and stuff like, what are you working on right now? Yeah. So um, big on schools right now. So like I said, we help organizations look for, you know, uh, coordinated attacks, but right now it's active shooter. So I can't, I got off the phones just to talk to you guys to talk to schools with the active behavior program. Um, the behavior program, it's short, it's about, it's not a very long course, but it breaks it down into chunks into looking at the behaviors of the active shooter themselves things that you need to understand about your own behavior. Like we've talked about denial. If someone says this stuff or they post something or they show you something and it's kind of violent or off the wall or doesn't fit their baseline, you need to start talking. You need to start saying something as long as it's within the context of that. You know, uh, like we talked about the utterances, there are certain um, handwritten indicators. If people are posting on social media, and again, I'm not trying to sit here and tell you to be a diagnose someone with mental health over social media, well, you guys know in investigations, there are certain tools we can use to look at handwriting, to look at, you know, the flow of someone's pattern and go, yeah, no, they're just blown off steam or we might have a schizophrenia issue here. You know, am I saying schizophrenics are active shooters? No, but it's a factor in some of these mental health and violence issues like critical response. So um, that that's very important, too, though. That's what we're working on right now. So you have a lot of active shooter courses out there teaching you what to do when the shots are fired, which is great. We got to know how to do that. But you're not going to solve this problem with one silver bullet. Pardon the pun. It's going to be a bunch of bullets, different angles. So, you know, mental health, hardening of the schools. You know, we've been securing federal buildings for a long time now. And people are so stuck on their politics right now. It's binary. It's like, uh, ban guns or keep guns. And that's the only answer. It's like, there's a whole other world of things we can do. Again, we've had embassies and consulates that are under constant high grade, you know, terrorist threats, bombs, car bombs. We've been securing them. Fantastic. You do the same thing with the schools, you know, uh, it gets, it kind of gets me kind of angry when people, well, we don't want our schools to turn into prisons. Do we? Okay. I'm a pragmatist here. What's the other option? Dead kids or prison-like school, you know, I, I'm going to tell you uh, which one I'm going to pick on that one. It doesn't have to be that, but I think you guys know where I'm going with it. So uh, that's you hit what we're the nail on the head. Yeah, now if people want more of your information and to be able to contact you, what's the best way to get in touch with, with you? I'll get you a link to the Active Shooter Pre-Attack Behavior Course. And for every individual out there, if you're hearing this stuff and you like the behavior, uh, I have a Patreon. We just started it, but we have kind of three different levels. The first one being, hey, you just want to come to the Left the Bang Show. I call it the Left the Bang Show, where we deep dive the sneakier side of security about a specific topic. The next one up is where, hey, this I do this for a job and I actually need coaching here. I need to be, become better about awareness in my environment. And the third one is actually for industry, industry trainers. And if you're an industry trainer, instructor, law enforcement, corporate or whatever, and you want to institute these awareness skills, these, these prevention skills at scale to an organization, it's all on the Patreon. So I'll make sure you guys have links to those and those will get the best information quickly. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So, so we always uh, on this show we we love talking about a variety of things, and we always get to talk about music. And uh, I know yeah. that's BC's favorite part. So, yeah, all right. <laughs> what do you what do you think, BC? What 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 style of music? Uh, after all this conversation, what's Yusef gonna throw at us? Ooh, uh, let let me try to read a little behavior here. Do I know uh, the question? What's the question? Favorite song? So, so yeah, so Ski's kind of saying like sometimes we ask people like, oh, you know, what is your favorite song or what's some music that either inspires you or you want to get people turned on to. But we're just kind of messing around like mm, if we're always reading behaviors and indicators, I got to try to figure out <laughs> what your what some of your you're you not going to guess. I bet you're not going to guess. I, I mean, one, I like a lot of music, but there's one. Yeah. If you're asking me for a recommendation for you and your listeners, yeah. I'm going to tell you, and I bet you won't guess. Go ahead. Mm. Uh, well, all I'm going to say <laughs> to you, BC, is, son, you ain't going to be that fortunate. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm really fortunate, son, when you, when you <laughs> call me that. And you better not be calling me son hey, anymore, Ski. I better not be a hint at creepy. <laughs> hey, it's not that. I have a different. This not come on, man. You've done new new research, see. You can't. Yeah, come I yeah. got to keep you guys. I got to keep the temple up. That's true. That's true. You just changed our channel. We we're like, oh, yeah. we thought we had yeah, it. You just yeah, messed yeah. up my oh, loop, man. What you got? What, what's what's something we put us on to? All right, for real, man. You're a cop. You're a first responder. Mm -hmm. You're a person. Like I'll, I'll tell you the progression of this. I didn't find this in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps, it was all hardcore, Metallica, this, that, and the other thing. I found this in business. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah there we go there we go so <laughs> well, normally i would tell you you know um from whom the bells tolls that would give right, me amped right. up. anything that black album anything like that you know all the good yeah. ones 80s hair bands the 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 monster love ballads i die over those man. all day i'll blast those but the one thing i love man i just can't i start my every day i started blasting my ear is um theme songs to movies theme Ooh. songs to movies. Oh, absolutely i know and i'm talking about big huge epic gladiator um uh, mm. uh, back to the future indiana jones these are big mm -hmm. symphonic uh, you know kind of uh, productions and i play it loud man because there's no way you can wake up when you and i wake up early you know wake up you know whatever six and i run out there and i throw the earphones it's, after going to the bathroom it's like the next second thing i do in the morning <laughs> And you blast Indiana Jones at like you know 120 <laughs> decibels. There's no way you don't crush life. You you will, you will crush life's face every day. Oh, man. You know yeah. I love a lot of those, but that, that's my go-to. I tell my instructors, I tell all my people, talk about getting up and listen to some gladiator kind of conquer music. That'll get you out the door with a with a big smile on your face. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out a way to sneak Kenny Loggins into a conversation, and oh, you just man. opened the oh, door man. for me. <laughs> Oh, me, me, me and BC refer to him as Uncle Kenny. Be, be respectful. The, he's the just word. such a big part of your life, Mr. whether you know it or not. He's only done like 900 soundtracks. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, be respectful. It's Mr. Loggins. I like that, dude. That's that's a good one. Movie mm -hmm. themes. I dig yeah, it. I love them all, but I love the big, nasty ones, man. I comment on my, my, my office sometimes, and my wife's like, oh, calm down, Jack. I'm like... <laughs> i love it man well look i, I kind of got a feeling we're gonna bring you back on in the near future and we'll we'll dial it in with maybe some specific incidents or maybe walk through yeah, some sure. breakdowns and that sort of thing so Catch we really yeah 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 man we mm -hmm. really appreciate you coming on and giving up your time man uh any last words ski no just thank you so much this has been great 
No, yes, thank sir. you guys. Thank you guys for giving me a chance to, to rant my head off. And I'm <laughs> telling you, a thousand pounds of wall uh, thrown at the wall and hoping 20 pounds stick. All you got to see is one of these behaviors. And, you know, while I said in the beginning of this, the next active shooter out there, the flip side of that is the next person to stop or disrupt an active shooter is out there too. Probably. Absolutely. Podcast, and, and, so. and it can be anybody. It's not exactly. just police. It's not just military first no. responders. Anybody can do this. Absolutely. I love it. It's the disruptors out.